Ugh. Ugh. Shovel Knight. Ugh. Ugh. Sounds like you're really digging for that, John. I'm kidding. Ha <laughs> I get it. It said, it sounds like I'm really digging for that. <laughs> it wasn't Oh that, my god. It wasn't that funny. We're gonna kill both of you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. back to the Sox cast game of the year discussions day number two where myself Rhett and Jonathan we're gonna go over our big fat top number fives as well as going over some more of those excellent listener submitted lists and boy are they long today thank you guys we really appreciate (laughs) that a lot to my immediate virtual right he's eating Christmas dinner out of Buddha's stone bowl it's Rhett. Hi. Hey, Rhett. How's it going? Are you ready to, to... This is the final podcast of the year. You've got to step it up. Are you ready to put on your game face? I got some games. Good, because I face. think we got off to a good start yesterday because for the first time in history, you actually said the word segue properly. I... Thank you. Good job. I, and that, I can say it. It's when I see it written out that I seize up and say segue. Sure, 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 whatever. <laughs> but, but, I want you on, uh, at the top of your game today. I don't want no slacking. You're going to hear my top games today. All right. Like I said, don't fuck with me. Don't fuck with my emotions. You fuck with my emotions, I just, I'll, I'll start referring to you as John. Aw. And to my immediate virtual left, he's just the fucking worst. It's Jonathan Thayer. Hey. How's it going, John? I'm doing, I'm doing okay. Are you set to bring your A game today? Yeah, I am. Are you really? Do you think you're Oh gonna... my god, my A games, my A, B, C, D, and E games. Damn, son! Packing some heat under those games. You like you some lists, I know. I love lists. I've been, I've, like, for the last three years, I've been, like, starting in January. It's like, alright, what's this list gonna look like? What's this list? I'm ready for this list. And Rhett, I'm ready. Rhett? I think you got some competition here today. Mm-hmm. You think Fuck you, yeah, lists. You think you can? You think you can keep up with this wild list maniac? I don't know. I've been doing lists a long time, son. Have you really? Well, I. You know what? There's no better way to get things started than show me what you got, Rhett. Give me your number five. Okay, starting off with the showstopper. Go for it. My number five is The Man. Legend of Zelda: Colon Link's Awakening. Really? Ooh. Now, that's an interesting choice. I would have expected Majora's Mask in this spot. Do give us a little rationale here. Uh, so, I played the original Zelda for the first time a few months ago, and then rolled right off of that into Link's Awakening, and it just it blew me away. Like It was such a audio-visual upgrade, and then the dungeons and the combat, just everything really clicked in that game. It was really it's just really something good. like... It's really good. It all kind of clicks together like a really cool fusion of NES, SNES, like, yeah. those mechanics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just, just the feels bo- really solid. 
like it kind of felt like the first time I truly appreciated like the Zelda format of really focusing on dungeons and just the puzzles in them. I thought the puzzles in the game were just fantastic. And like the way they cram so much into a single screen aesthetic, like there's not like a single pixel wasted in the whole game. That's really awesome. They had to be mindful of that shit back then on tiny little screens like yeah. that. And you played the Game Boy Color version? Yeah, I played DX, which yeah. doesn't really change anything oh, besides yeah. besides color. Added those ROM hacky kind of dungeons, I guess. There's one that's optional. I played it after beating the game, so it didn't really spoil anything. Oh yeah, and the ending of the game is really, really good. It's really good. It's like oh my really God. good. <laughs> it. I like that we're. So, I like that. Like, I like that we're starting off this episode in a really good way. It's oh, just yeah. like weird and haunting, and kind of like a team eco game at the at the end of it. You were just like, oh man, that's and an interesting way, comparison. Actually, everything kind of fades away at the end. Yeah. Goes over each of the characters you've kind of fallen <laughs> in love with, and then, oh, they're gone. They're gone. It's okay. so Oof. kind of minor spoilers. Remember how you told me about. Like, looking in the library for the last solution. Yeah. And I found out that if you called the guy on the phone, he would just mm-hmm. tell you, go look in the library. That's there's true. Actually, there's another line of dialogue after that, though, where he says, like, and if you ever need help, be sure to call me. And it's really sad because you never have to call him again after that. Oh, no. Oh. The implication there is really... Yeah. Oh. Did you, did you ever call the lonely old man? No, I didn't really. Oh, that's actually really sad. Oh I've that... got to wonder if that was intentional. It's it oh, seems it pretty intentional because it's very literally like the last clue he'll give you. Oh, and it's just like call me again sometime. Yeah, like maybe on, like maybe then... on Christmas. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, yeah, that game's really rough, and they and they basically tell you like it's Dream World like early on in the game, right? They yeah, don't just I, wait until the very end. Oh my god, spoilers. <laughs> Sorry. But it's, I, th- I think people know that one. It came I out think... like right after I was born. You guys can... Y'all oh can manage. Awakening! Hello! <laughs> I know, and they tell you like at least halfway through that it's a dream world and yeah. the whole goal of the game is to wake up. Yeah. Mm. And so even knowing that, the ending is still really sad. You know what's awesome? Link actually wakes up. At the end of that game, Mario stays asleep at the end of Super Mario Brothers <laughs> 2, you la- fucking fat, lazy fuck. Yeah, Wakes I said it. in the middle of the ocean. I said it. I won't apologize. Fuck Mario. Go to sleep. <laughs> Go to sleep, bitch. Go to sleep. I think it's funny, too, that in the real world sections in Link's Awakening, he's drawn, like, as an adult. Mm-hmm. But then for the entire game, he's, like, chibi, cute Link. That's oh, really that's awesome. Touch. Yeah. I don't know if that's intentional, but it's kind of a funny touch that he kind of sees himself as this little kid version. The well, chibi, you know, SD. Well, I mean, in your dreams you can be anything you want, you know, so to speak. So I don't see why, you know, you couldn't interpret it that way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a really fun way to interpret it, though. I like that. Yeah. Would you say that that's like the first Zelda game that kind of had that grown-up narrative to it? That it kind of continued into some of the 3D games? Mm, I don't know, because it's been so long since I've played Link to the Past to know okay. if that one really has. It definitely, it just feels like a, definitely feels like a maturation from Link to the Past yeah. to me. Yeah. Yeah, the NES games definitely don't really have any sort of narrative. 
They um, yeah, they have a different kind of approach. I feel like yeah. I really I really like Zelda 2's kind of atmosphere and some of the things it does later on, but it's a different kind of storytelling from Link's Awakening and mm-hmm. Ocarina and Majora and Wind Waker. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, Link's Awakening, quite good. So that's that your has- number five. Jonathan, hit me with a number five. Well, I played this game right at the start of the year, basically. I think I played it once and I dabbled in it right before now um, to kind of re- make sure that I still wanted it near the, near the, so near the top of my list. Mm-hmm. Um, Sabbat Director's Cut by Oh No Problems. And this is? It is a twine game where you do a demonic ritual which entails sacrificing animals and smearing your body with their blood and turning into a demon. Sounds super family friendly. At which point you go and just do lots of things. Basically it ends with you killing all the cops in the world and destroying capitalism and destroying all of Western civilization and just like this super great angst and I gotta say I'm liking everything you're telling me so far you like then you go meet up with a witch and you like make out and watch anime before you go (laughs) you just you meet a witch and you make Uh out make out and watch anime and yeah it's just it's really magical so sex and anime at the end of the world yes I like this concept. Uh, it's really good. It's probably my favorite Twine game. Sounds awesome. Yeah. Sounds it's the direct- crazy. <laughs> no. Well, it's the right kind of crazy, I think. And they ha- it has, like, a, the director's cut is, um, there's a free text version, and then the director's cut is $5, and it comes with, it's on sale right now, actually, and it comes with a soundtrack that's really cool, kind of this dreary metal underpinning to it all. Mm-hmm. And... You have graphics for all, um, like, 200 combinations of demon that you can create. Because depending on which animals you smear their blood where, you turn into a different demon. And that affects how the whole game goes. And it shows the graphic. They have 200 different graphics for different kinds of demons that appear in the corner of the screen in the director's cut. Wow, that's really involved for a Twine game, really. I know. Um, and also the director's cut and a later text revision um, gives you the option to not uh, as a animal friendly option <laughs> where you can open with a demonic ritual that doesn't involve killing animals. If that's um, what does it open with? I, I don't know. I didn't play that version. Oh. Of you, why would you? Yeah, it's it says that's like, like do you like, want to? That's like drinking diet Mountain Dew. Mm-hmm. The 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 option for the animal sacrifice version you select the text and it says blood for the blood god <laughs> so you kind of have to select that right but you know if you're totally squicked out by animal cruelty then that that is an option that you can do and then you can still go and destroy western civilization and watch anime with witches and that's something we should all strive for i think i know right i want to make out with a witch watch anime and then watch the entirety of western civilization burn Mm-hmm. <laughs> you and sit on a throne made of skulls. It's pretty great. Uh, that would pr- I don't know. A throne of skulls sounds like it wouldn't be very comfortable on the old butt. Eh. 
well, what if you have a demon butt that's like made of a wolf that's continuous, a wolf at your crotch that's continuously vomiting out, birthing and unbirthing other wolves? I was going to eat later. Okay. <laughs> that's one thing. That's one of the op- demonic options. Okay. I was thinking more along the lines of like a carapace butt. Um, I think the different animals are centipede, crow, snake, wolf, and goat, and it depend and the demon demon you turn into depends on um what gender you go with at the start of the game mm-hmm. or don't go with any um and which animal blood you smear on which part of your body and you went with which which okay well okay, I went okay. with wolf genitals obviously okay so let's 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 have a quick time out here okay but if you were to have a demon butt what would it be what <laughs> if you were to have a demon butt what would it be snake i don't know you want a snake butt john yeah. if you were to have a demon butt what would it be i don't know a centipede butt sounds pretty great especially if it turns into like a tail and i could have like a scorpion centipede tail that goes behind me and like can grab people or something i want to I cha- change my answer to scorpion that's way cooler okay yeah okay <laughs> The the socks cast universally agrees that we all want scorpion butts. So if anybody out there can make that happen, hit up Red on Twitter for me. Oh great! <laughs> so that's your number five, Mister Jonathan. Yep. My number five. I know that you guys know how good I am at keeping up with gaming popular trends. Like, I'm always on the cutting edge. I've got the newest everything. I only play the newest games. Um, you know, I, 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 I'm, I'm fucking awesome. I keep up with everything. Uh, so that's why, for the first time this year, my number five is going to have to be The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time 3D. Um, this is a game, I I resisted Ocarina of Time for years, because, fuck 3D games, they're stupid, and I'm a big babby, and I don't like them, and to a larger degree, that's still the case, but a few years ago, I played Super Mario 64, and ended up eating my words, um, and this year, I got around to playing Ocarina of Time, uh, not in its intended format, I did not play the N64 version, but I did play... Um, the 3DS version, I bought it on a whim, I don't even remember why, because it's not a game that I've, you know, I I don't really get urges to play that game, but for some reason this year it was just like, I'm gonna play this dumb Zelda game, and then I dropped 35 bucks on it on the eShop, and was like, okay, I get it, everybody was right, this game is pretty much everything they've said it was for years that I resisted. Yep, that's one of my favorite games ever, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and... you know, it, it really helped, I think, especially for me, because I'm the kind of person that's put off easily by annoyances in gameplay design or interfaces that can be clunky. And uh, the 3DS, you know, like, it it actually makes me say, thank God for touch controls. And those are words I never thought I would ever say in my entire life. But <laughs> uh, they cert- like, I can certainly see how things like the Water Temple would have just been annoying as shit if you didn't have such quick access to both your map and the ability to just map the iron boots to a section of the screen. Yeah, 3D Zelda games are kind of awash in that, those kind of annoyances. Oh, yeah, so, definitely. So um, having to deal with those is kind of like a barrier to entry until stuff like the 3DS remake and such. Yeah, yeah. And it's actually got me really interested in the new Majora's Mask uh, 
3D that's going to be blowing up next year, I guess, at some point. So. Yeah, that's really exciting. So I will be- probably give that uh, a look when it releases as well. Cool. Awesome. And to get our reader list started off today, Rhett, you want to give me one? Uh, sure. This one comes in from Poncho Smith. Hey, Poncho, what's up, dog? He's Poncho gonna, Smith. This is where he answers. Hold on. <laughs> you too, Poncho. How you doing, bud? Good? All right. Keep on chilling, dude. Okay, now you can go. <laughs> Poncho Smith's top three games of 2014 doohickey. I really like retro-style platformers. This may or not be a recurring theme as you read this. Number three, 1001 Spikes. Or, if we're going with the full title, Aben Hawkins and the 1001 Spikes. What kind of name is Aben, anyways? I don't know. (coughs) If you enjoy your stupidly difficult 2D platformers with a healthy smattering of daddy issues, then 1001 Spikes is the game for you. (laughs) I do! (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Everything from the 8-bit scenery to the level design has been meticulously crafted, and the game controls like a dream, although you'll be too busy getting your teeth kicked in to notice too much. And once you're done with the main quest, there's additional content galore, ranging from new characters, costume and game modes, to the other half of the game, Antarctica. Motherfucking Antarctica. <laughs> Hope you had fun while it lasted. Uh, apparently that game's hard. Rock Glumbler mentioned it last time. Rock Glumbler? <laughs> Rock Glumbler. Rock Glumbler. <laughs> this is why he goes by Skibo now. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Number two. Shovel Knight. John's favorite game. John's favorite game. His, I'm betting on it. That's your number one, John. I know it. I'm not rooting. I don't really. I don't have anything against it. I'm just rooting on Saga to win over it. I don't know what you think it's winning. <laughs> <laughs> okay. In our hearts, the award of our hearts, Reed. <laughs> number two, Shovel Knight. I imagine that this one will be on more than a few lists, and for good reason. It pretty much gets everything right when it comes to this style of game. It's gorgeous, the movement in combat is beyond satisfying, the boss fights are an absolute blast, and I've made the soundtrack a part of my regular music rotation during power walks. I guess there were any drawbacks, it's over kind of quickly, and there really isn't much to go back to unless you really feel the need to get every piece of equipment and or achievement. Definitely a title you shouldn't pass up. Agreed? I don't think those are drawbacks, but cool. Yeah, it doesn't overstate its welcome, definitely. I don't think it overstates its welcome. Yeah, I think it's a great length. Yeah. And number one, Freedom Planet. Wow. Since Shovel Knight will probably be the preferred retro platformer of choice for most folks, I'll assume the role of Contrarian and hand the number one spot to Freedom Planet. Thanks, Boner. The best Sonic game that Treasure never made but for the original PlayStation, Freedom Planet hit a lot of notes for me that I never really expected to see in a game again. Namely, fuzzy girl mascots in a period of gaming dominated by the grizzled Caucasian dude bro. There are some things about Freedom Planet that don't really click, but with the sprawling levels, a trio of characters that play vastly different, some insane boss fights, some of the most insane boss fights I've seen in any genre in, of game in years, and yet the sound, and yet another soundtrack I get my sweat onto. It <laughs> hardly matters. Play it now. Agreed. I'm really happy to see that at uh, the top of someone's list. I guess I have to play that. You guys kind of unsold. We unsold you on it? The constant bitching about the story really put me off that game, unfortunately. Well, it's not that... I don't think that the story should be the thing to put you off, because the game definitely... Like, there's a mode where you can completely skip it. 
but don't like that. I was kind of disappointed by Freedom Planet. Just just throwing that just throwing that in there. Yeah. (laughs) John, this is a happy podcast. Remember, happy podcast. Uh, yeah. I I if Reed was just thinking that was my impression of it, then well, yeah, yeah, (laughs) maybe it was. Okay. Okay. Um. So is that his list? That's his list. Well, I'm going to knock out another short list here. This one comes courtesy of our very own guest on a previous episode. You can find her hanging around on the Twitter box doing whatever. Probably hitting on Boner. Uh, it comes from <laughs> Rucklucky. Rucklucky? 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 Rachel. Rachel, Rachel, that's it. Um, she actually has uh, two lists here. She wanted me to specifically read this list first, and then the list she sent in via email. So sneaky, uh, going behind my back. Oh, I know that's that's dirty <laughs> pool, but she 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 got it in at the eleventh hour, and I thought, eh, why not? We're the least professional podcast in the business. Why start being professional now? So here we go. Number one on this list is The Legend of Boner, Raquel's Awakening. (laughs) Number two on this list is The Legend of Boner, A Raquel to the Bone. And number three on this list is Shovel Knight. Huh. So with that list out of the way, here's her actual list. Coming in at number three, Kirby's Triple Deluxe. Uh, it starts out cute, and then you eventually wind up in hell. A cute so, hell, though. Like every Kirby game. Exactly. Number two, she has Bravely Default, JRPG that takes out, takes out slash changes some of the inconveniences of the traditional JRPG, but still manages to be difficult. And her number one. We're going to be hearing about this one a lot, I'm sure. It is Shovel Knight. And uh, she says it was already discussed at length a couple of times in the podcast and will be discussed more. Probably not, because these two ding-dongs didn't fucking do this <laughs> in any fucking or- conceivable way that anybody would. Uh, she says, not much to add on that to what's been said already. So, thank you, Raquel, for your list. Shovel and- Knight, number one in our hearts. Exactly. No, I believe it's gonna lose. I believe it's being outpaced so far in number. Damn, of we're two to three. Oh, and y'all keep, are probably gonna vote for it. I so. knew you were keeping track. So, oh. Rhett, let's keep this train going and give me a number four. Oh. oh dear. So you joked earlier on Twitter that there would be tables thrown during this podcast. Let's hear it. Ooh. This is when John throws the table at me. Oh. Number four, Bioshock Infinite. Oh. Oh. <laughs> Dude. 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 How could you? <laughs> he's not angry. He's just. Oh. He's just. He's just. He's just, just. I'm just disappointed. Hmm. <laughs> All right. So. So tell, sure, us about, right? tell us about the dumb, racist, unfun game that's bad. I mean, did I say that I, I... Just okay. justify your interest in racial, uh, in racist propaganda, Rhett. It's not racist. <laughs> How did you... Oh, you, didn't even, you did not say that with a straight face at all. You can't even say, it's not racist. <laughs> <laughs> all right, don't worry, just tell us why the dumb, racist, awful game from awful people is good. <laughs> On the real, though, what, what what was it that drew you into this game? Yeah. 
I just, I really like the story and the characters, and the gunplay is incredible. Like, what? <laughs> it's Bioshock. It's the worst first-person gun shooting thing ever. I don't I think really... those games have ever been fun to play, have they? Like, going all the way back to the original System Shock, where you had 15 keys for moving. I feel bad. We're beating up Brett, and this is his list. <laughs> I uh, knew this was going to happen, though. It's I okay. Even, I didn't even prepare a defense for some reason, because I'm an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you didn't think you'd need it. It's just... <sighs> I don't know, because I played Bioshock and went back to it several years later, and I'm like, oh, this place like shit. And then I played Bioshock 2, and I'm like, oh, this plays a little better but kind of still like shit and infinite just clicked with me i think it plays really good and i did a lot of like there's the challenge dlc and stuff and then there's the uh burial at sea dlcs that i played and i just really like how that game plays well there you go i'm not gonna i'm not gonna take that away (laughs) from you and i think thematically even though the story really doesn't make any sense like i mean the story is crazy and you as you try to piece together, you go through phases of like, oh, this is genius. And then, oh, this makes no goddamn sense. And then, oh, well, maybe it's genius. And then I've eventually settled on, no, the story is just kind of stupid and doesn't make sense, like the alternate universe stuff. But I think thematically, like, the game is maybe a lot smarter than people give it credit for. Because it's this really, like, hyper-idealized Americana but the game itself is super fucking violent, and a lot of the themes in the game are about, you know, white people suppressing the Native Americans and black people. And it, it makes you feel uncomfortable through that violence. Mm. Well, that's good. Don't you, like, go around suppress like, shooting black people at the end, though? For, like, the last third? Maybe. <laughs> oh. Okay. I played it earlier this year. I only played yeah. for about three hours. I wasn't. I, I, I just don't like how that game feels on a technical level. I didn't even really get far enough to get to a point to where the story could start affecting me in any decent way. And it's just, yeah, I just did not like the way it felt at all. And just kind of, mm-hmm. eh, I'm not. You gonna know what? Play Honestly, that. I'd probably be fine with that game if it played like shit and the alternate timeline stuff didn't make any sense at all. I'd probably it- still be fine with it if it was coherent thematically and if you're saying that it was to you then good on you <laughs> that makes sense to me though <laughs> i've just become very disillusioned in america over the last few months because of certain events who mm. the fuck wouldn't mm-hmm. who so wouldn't bioshock may be saying more than i gave it credit for at the time when i played it earlier in the you year. should play sabbat <laughs> you should nah. play sabbat you literally disassemble America. It's great. And you get a scorpion butt. And you get a scor- you get a centipede butt. Centipede butt. There's no scorpions, but you can get a centipede butt. So if you want a game that's like, really <laughs> is just like tearing apart those kind of Western ideals, then I don't know. <laughs> that, that, that Sabbath's a really good choice. But if you got that out of Bioshock, <laughs> then that's great. Absolutely. Won't hold it against you. Mm-hmm. And in fact, my, my number four choice is kind of, kind of has caveats too. So I, I should shut up. Speaking of number four, Jonathan, let us have a number four, please. So I played a game this year that also let me take out a bunch of rage on, oh, um, America. <laughs> uh oh. Um, I played Metal Gear Rising: Revengeance. Hell yes, you did. 
And that game kicks ass. That game kicks all kinds of ass. Mm-hmm. There's like this big row of ass, and it somehow manages to, with one swift kick, kick all of those asses in that row. <laughs> yep. And you don't go and suppress a slave revolt or whatever happens at the end of Bioshock. Oh, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but yeah, that game feels amazing to play. Oh, my God. And amazing! It's, it's so fun. In the beginning, you beat up a ray, and at the end of it, you're just... Oh, my God. It's so good. Game jumping gives, on missiles. The game will tickle you in your pants in all the right ways. Yeah. I, I actually literally had an erotic dream that was just me playing Revengeance. <laughs> just take that. You also you had know. an erotic dream about Dr. Eggman. Never mind. Um, so Revengeance is really good. Yeah. And I just really like that game. I really like that it's, it's, a, it's a dumb power fantasy where you're the white guy shoot, murdering a bunch of people. But the the people that it targets, the the things that it targets, just made it feel really cathartic for me. Yeah, and I think in that sense, Sabbath is kind of better because it's the same kind of power fantasy, but it's not just the macho white guy violence like in Revengeance. But Revengeance also plays so well, and it's so fun, and it's so over the top, and the music is so perfectly integrated, and it's just such a fun game. Perry's motherfucker. Oh my god, Perry's. That that game's really rad. Oh it, what, god. The stuff that game does with music is really Oh my god, impeccable. it's so amazing. And mm-hmm. like all the lyrics are like about the boss and you it's can like so, listen to it and it, get more character development. And it's it's so weird that that's a thing. Like I That's nuts. I mean, you get that kind of dumb stuff in Sonic Adventure in like this really bass dumb shitty level. Oh yeah, like the Knuckles song. Oh, God, those are <laughs> fucking dreadful. Oh, my God. My name's Knuckles. I don't chuckle. <laughs> oh, God, those are... Sh- yeah, the, the, the songs are, like, the most basic aspect of that character. I'm Knuckles. I'm here at Pumpkin Hill. Like, they're, they're shitty. Like, dude, are you really? Good. Yeah. Awesome job. Revengeance is really good, y'all. Hell yeah. yes. Everybody everybody needs to play it. It's like five bucks or something on Steam right now. And it won't be by the time this yeah, is out on Tuesday. I think it's already over, actually. But watch <laughs> watch the Steam sale at the end of the year. That will probably be a repeated deal. Get Revengeance. It's a fantastic port as well. Mm-hmm. And oh, it yeah. scales really damn well, even for older machines. So pick that shit up. Metal Gear mm-hmm. Rising Revengeance. Ah! <laughs> Basically, yeah. I think that grunt suns it all up. <laughs> all right. <laughs> I've got a number four as well. Ooh. Or do you? I do. Breaking do the pattern you? here. Mr. Smarty Pants over here thinks he's got me all figured out, but I bet he doesn't. So, gonna be. so this was a year that I ended up playing a lot more games that made me think while I was playing them than uh, usual. You know what I mean? I like my Contra blasty blasty shoot shoot stuff. Uh. And, uh, you know, like with stuff like The Room, uh, you know, I ended up playing a lot more puzzle kind of games this year. You know, that and Monument Valley and stuff. Um, and a game that I got to this year that I wish I had last year uh, is The Swapper. 
And oh, cool. Wow. That is simply an amazing game. I love everything about it. The mechanics of cloning yourself and transporting your consciousness into your clones. How that ties into the narrative in very... <laughs> eerie and unnerving ways on top of that game's just dark and foreboding atmosphere and story that whole thing comes that whole game comes together so goddamn perfectly that it's just i I can hardly find anything to about it to bitch about i mean literally like i mean the puzzles are so well designed um if you're ever stuck, there are other puzzles that you can go do. You know, you never feel like you're stuck, and it's just, like, the, the looks, the sounds, the mechanics of that game are just so good on every level that, you know, there's just, even though I played it really early in the year, that game still left, like, a big mark on me, especially with the payoff at the end and, you know, the choice that you're given. Yes. Um, and it's just, it's so eerie, so unsettling, so unnerving, but at the same time, it's endlessly compelling. Whew, that game gave me chills. <laughs> mm-hmm. Damn. That game made Anna and I have our first fight. Oh, really? What? Give yeah. it, okay, we've got to, ha- we got to hear this. Well, it's like, we were working on this one puzzle for like an hour and a half, and she was taking control and doing really, really well. And then she got to like five, like two steps of um, completing the last puzzle. This last puzzle, and she's yelling from the other room, "You fucker!" <laughs> the, <laughs> the, the wounds are still sore. And oh, then wow. like two steps of solving the puzzle, and I was like, oh, "I get it! I got it! Move over, Anna!" I kind of shoved her to the side, took oh, the controls, no. solved the puzzle. Wow! I'm so smart. <laughs> Oh, why did you do that, Jonathan? That was the worst idea. <gasps> so that was me pulling a pretty dick move there. That's, and that's not very nice, Jonathan. We didn't play more of the Swapper that night. I wouldn't imagine. Wow. Oh, and she never, yeah, she never played it again after that. I just beat the wow. game alone. Wow. So, that's... You're kind of... You, yeah, you're, you're, <laughs> you're a little bit of a dick, Jonathan. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I I am totally with you there. (laughs) All right. So, yeah. Uh, Rhett, do you have anything you would like to add about the Swapper? Uh, I really, really love the soundtrack in that game. Oh, God, it's so good. Oh, it's pretty. I listen to it outside the game, like, regularly. It's so cool. Seriously, one of my favorites ever. Oh, it's so very relaxing. All of those, all those shots where you're outside in space and the sun and moon are pulling that 2001 shit behind you. Oh, God. I forgot all about that. It's gorgeous. Yes. I have to replay that. Uh, uh, yes. Oh, God, so good. I get so excited about these games. Listen to this. A happy podcast. I know. Video games are great. Uh, they are. Real here. Video oh. games are in a good place. They're not going anywhere, people. Despite, mm-hmm. the fa- despite the fact that Ubisoft are trying their best to let <laughs> us know that, no, video games are fucking dreadful. Stop playing these things. We still As have- always, your Sabbaths and your Vengeances and your Swappers. Exactly. And the Swapper also sounds like a really gross sex thing. I'm going to give her a bit of the old Swapper. You could probably use it for that. You probably if you can. had that gun. Oh, yeah. my God. <laughs> That's exciting. That is. That's an interesting prospect. I'm literally also, going also to egg- fuck me. Also existentially dreadful and scary if you're... Whatever. <laughs> so, moving on, we have another reader list from today. 
this is Voodoo Grooves Top 3 Games of 2014. These are not numbered, so I will just read them in the order that they are presented. For Up first, we have Super Smash Bros. Project M. I believe there is a request, requisite fart noise. There. Okay, and he says... People who complain that the new Smash Bros. games aren't like Melee really should bite the bullet and download this large-scale mod to Brawl. It is It has a surprising amount, <clears throat> amount of support from the competitive scene, but Project M goes beyond Brawl with Melee tech. There is so goddamn much to this mod, with the mechanics from every Smash Bros. game implemented, new levels plus Mewtwo and Roy, it feels like a full-fledged addition to the series. Most of the cast was reworked with tons of easter eggs and inspiration from the characters' home series, some of my favorites, Ivysaur absorbing sunlight and firing giant Kamehameha solar beams. <laughs> Sonic's ridiculous Sonic Adventure poses when hitting a homing attack. Squirtle and Diddy Kong putting on sunglasses when they taunt. A lot of the new abilities feel fun and intuitive, regardless of if you're a casual com- or competitive player, and a lot of my casual friends actually prefer this version. I have spent so much time with this game since February, played it in multiple tournaments, and gushed about it to practically everyone I know. It takes... It takes the ridiculous mobility and pace from Melee and makes it slightly more approachable. Creating a game that feels unrivaled in smoothness. I almost read that as urinated in smoothness. <laughs> Which, hey, it's Smash Brothers. It's a party game, whatever. Mm-hmm. I have never played a fighting game character. I have never played a party game character that I loved <laughs> controlling more than Sonic in this game. Then patch 3.5 happened in October, and it, it was all ruined. This may be a knee-jerk reaction. <laughs> Uh, the next game on his list is a game that I wholeheartedly support, and I think that everybody else he- will here as well, including including our lovely Mr. Jonathan, Mark of the Ninja. I played the hell out of this in 2013, then re-downloaded it and did it all over again this year. Mark of the Ninja is the best ninja game I've ever played, the controls are intuitive, and it moves at a brisk pace. It's very easy to understand, and once you get the hang for all the nuances, it becomes a sort of stealth playground, inventing... Devious ways to assassinate guards or performing no-detection pacifist runs. I do wish the standard enemies in the game were a bit more mobile, since the game does miss out on a bit of that they-find-me-and-I'm-dead field and say Tenchu does better. It's not that the enemies aren't threatening. Guns will totally kill ninjas. That's a fact, actually. (laughs) But they're easily read and manipulated, so it's usually not an issue. But still, the gameplay is tight clever and the story is actually very well done even a bit poignant we'll totally agree on that last point simply that that story the way it wraps up such a damn good payoff either way you go with it Mm -hmm. which is how it should be with those kind of endings just yeah either one is perfect yeah there is no right or wrong answer and you know it's just like the ending i got the first time i was completely happy with Mm -hmm. um and his yeah uh, i think i i just say i think mark the ninja is like basically perfect i think that game is one of those games that just hits on every note really well it was my game of the year the year it was released yep uh, deservedly i wish they'd make a sequel i I wish they would but i think that they are Mm -hmm. so far down there don't starve hole yeah i was gonna Uh, say they're really focused on that all of a sudden and they're working on um a turn-based strategy game as well so Mm -hmm. well it's also a perfect it's also a great standalone game it is it really is it's a game that i still like to boot up every now and then and play so Mm. it it does what it does well why should revisit that that's so good Mm. 
So, in the last game he mentions, I think that we're all going to agree again as well, Sonic Generations. And then Sonic was fun again. Sonic Colors was all right. I didn't really get I didn't really get sucked into it. Sonic Generations epitomizes one of the core Sonic experiences they've been trying to get right for a while. Speed running. It feels so friggin' mm-hmm. awesome blowing through a level, hitting every jump and slide perfectly, and cruising without interruption. It's almost therapeutic. I find myself sitting down whenever I have a few minutes and blowing through a few levels because it just feels so good. My biggest complaint is that to do well in the game requires a lot of muscle memory. This is absolutely true. Uh, mm-hmm. Which is to be expected, but I would have liked more opportunities for improvisation, as most mistakes completely screw your momentum. Then again, you'll probably have the burst meter to shoot off again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he has an honorable mention listed, um, and I, I don't know how to say this game at all, <laughs> so forgive me. It is Undernight Inbirth X Late? Xy Late? I don't know. I've yeah. heard of this. I don't know much about it, except that it has, like, the worst title of anything. And, it sounds uh, like a Kingdom Hearts subtitle. And, yeah, and, it does. and under that, he says that it is supplanted by Guilty Gear Zerd. What is with fighting games and not like, having... Oh, it's a fighting game. That makes sense. Only be supplanted by Guilty Gear Zerd last week as my 2D fighter of choice, but still a darn good time. And that is Mr. Voodoo Group's Is list. that really how you pronounce that? Zerd? Exerd? Exerd? Crossard? Like, there are so many ways that you can say the X in that name that I've heard over the years. Because a lot of the times, it's cross. At least if it was a, if it was a TH, then you could just say 10th. Yeah, but it's... I, I don't... Exerd. 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 divided by two days. So now we're getting into the red zone. Wait, wait, wait. What? How about- Sonic Generations is pretty good as well. Yeah. Right? Sonic <laughs> Generations... We didn't talk about that. Okay, Sonic yeah. Generations, you know, they like, he has a point that, you know, you've, re- like, if you're going to speedrun that game, you've really got to know your shit, you know, you've got to, like, master, like, the fucking, the, the that one move where you can, like, come to a sudden stop in midair and just drop down. It's uh, called pressing B. Oh, shut up. <laughs> um, and then there's the slide. You've got to be, you know, you've got to know your shit. And you, but, but even then, yeah. you don't have to play that game like that in order to have fun because it still gives you just an excellent sense of speed in the 3D sections and the 2D Sonic levels just feel so good. Yeah. I, I really, really love that game. I forget yeah. what year I, it was on one of my lists, but it, it probably should have been higher. I believe it was 2011. I want to say. I, might, I think I didn't play it until 12. and yeah. Like that's might be my favorite Sonic game of all of them right now. Yeah, I think uh, I think I gave that an award that year as yeah. like the, as like the best like comeback revival. I, yeah, I yeah. gave I gave it I gave I gave it to that over Mortal Kombat at the last minute. I was literally editing my list <laughs> at eleven fifty eight, and uh, to to finish my Sonic Generations light up because I just jerked it away from Mortal Kombat at the last minute. <laughs> Well, Sonic Generations is really good. It's yeah, really it's, good. It's every bit deserving. A- another game I, that you definitely should be watching out for a sale during the Steam Winter mm-hmm. Sale. It's 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 really good. I got really good at um, Chemical Zone and Crisis City. I just got those really are, solid on those. Those are, I had a blast with them. Those are two of the best damn stages. Yeah, I remember oh. you were posting your Chemical Plant score, and I'm like, oh, I'll go do that. That'll be easy. And then I'm looking and like, he's 20 seconds faster than me. How is that possible? <laughs> Chemical Plant is so good. Oh, so I will you know, play that. Just... Start when you're like going across the loops, yeah. and they're like the loops from the old game, but they're like 
and the way the, the music and the way the music winds up you know it's just like it, it slowly bur- like winds up to the burst of speed that the game is yeah. is throwing at you mm-hmm. it's like that's so good I yeah, like Crisis how- cities like that too with that big wind up yes and then like oh I like how the older stages like they do the classic themes but kind of in the modern style yeah they're really mm-hmm. well done and then the classic ones later like modern songs done in the kind of the classic style yeah it's it's God, from top to bottom, it's hard to say much bad about that game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all you have to do is say final boss. Okay, good point. Yep. <laughs> it's a homing final attack, Rhett! It's a homing attack, Rhett! It's, a- it's a homing attack! <laughs> so I guess now we can get into the danger zone? Danger zone! <laughs> so, Rhett, do you want to take us headfirst into the danger zone with your so excited. number three game of the year? So, you mentioned earlier that your top three was very hard to pick. Yes. Like, they were all very close competition. Yes. For me, my top... For me, it was like that. My top three just fell into place. Boom, boom, boom. And number three is Valkyria Chronicles. Oh, hell yes! I love that game. That game... It's really good. Oh, God. Everything about it. I love it. That's kind of appropriate that you'd say that because I think each of my top three kind of has a different reason why I love it so much. And mm-hmm. Valkyria Chronicles is probably the one you can sum it up best as just everything about it. Like, it is a game that is greater than the sum of its parts. It really is. Like, you can kind of nitpick a lot of it, but just the total experience of it. Like, the story and the gameplay and the characters and the music and the world and just everything about it like comes together so freaking perfectly. Yeah, it's it's such a tight package that yeah. it's it's so consistent, it's so on point that everything that it does. Yeah. And I just had this really wonderful experience of just playing like one chapter a day for like 20 days or so, however long it took and then when I was done, I was just like had this emptiness like what am I going to do tonight? I don't have Valkyria Chronicles anymore. Oh. Just like, I got into this rhythm, and this, when it ended, I'm like, shit, what do I do now? Because well, I haven't really played a Japanese RPG in a very long time. And these characters Even, went off and had their happy little life together. Oh. Yeah, that that whole ending. So good. Is so do you good. Think that one just, might be, do you think that might be one Anna would enjoy playing with me? I think... Sure. I mean, yeah, I, I would give it a shot. I would give it a shot. I mean, we played. We play, Is it kind of nice, even if it gets into some dark parts at times? Even um, it gets pretty dark. On the whole, I'd say yes. Yeah, there's there's a lot of light heart in this to it. Cool. I mean, it is a strategy game. It's not really a Japanese RPG. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. And the battles they they do go on for a while if you play them kind of slowly, like I do. Okay. But, yeah, I that mean, game in, looks amazing. In terms of story, like, if she was into Persona 4, its story and characters, and, like, how was she mm-hmm. on the gameplay of that? Or was it more just about the story oh, she, for her? She really dug um, Persona 4, playing it. Oh, okay. Because I was thinking, Especially you know, once she got past Shadow Yukiko. That was, like, the wall there. Once she got past that, it was, like... Yeah, Shadow Yukiko is there was the like, brick wall of that game. There was, like, a three-hour block there where it was, like, this game sucks, I hate it, I don't want to play it anymore ever again. And then we beat it, and I was like, okay, okay, things are yeah, okay. Yeah, I was, I was like that the first time I played Persona 4. I got to Yukiko's Shadow, and was just like, what do you want from me, game? This is impossible. 
Um, but once you get past that, uh, it's pretty smooth sailing. Mm-hmm. Which is why Valkyria, Valkyria Chronicles <laughs> is great. Yes. Valkyria yeah. Chronicles is great because Persona 4 is great, is what sure, you're saying. Exactly. Basically. <laughs> Something and like that. And that's great because Sonic Generations is great? Mm-hmm. Okay. All right, I think I, I followed the train. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a pretty right. logical pattern we got Every, going Everything here. comes back to Sonic. Yes. <laughs> on this podcast. It mm-hmm. all returns to Sonic. He just keeps rolling, rolling around, rolling, rolling around, rolling around, rolling around, rolling around at the speed of sound. No, no, you're, you're missing it. Jonathan! 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 Mr. Oh, Thire. Okay, sorry. Okay, we're ready. I'm ready. Jonathan! I'm here. I want you to give me a big fat number three all over my face right now. Just do it. Okay. All right. Okay, okay. 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 My number three is a tie, but one of them is better than the other. Oh, God, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but they're related. It's okay. I hate you. I hate you. Uh, oh. Okay. All Let's, right. I'll hear you out. Well, wait. So, you already had Sonic Adventure 1. <laughs> <laughs> so my number three is Saga 1 and Saga 2 for the Nintendo Game Boy or Final Fantasy Legend 1 and 2. Oh, um, okay. I played them back to back, and I had an absolute blast with both of them. And I think that they're great games. Um, Saga One. It's it's a lot like what um, Reed was saying. Polly, come on, come on. Okay, okay. Come on, come on. I'm sorry. It's cool. Um, it's like Reed was saying, where Valkyria Chronicles was just like this kind of aesthetically, narratively perfect thing, where mm-hmm. everything just kind of comes together. Mm-hmm. And Saga One was like that, even though actually playing it was pretty dreadful. Mm. Um, and then Saga 2 is just is just a fucking great game. <laughs> Saga 1 is like ha- it feels like this weird broken nightmare thing and then Saga 2 is just like a perfect little JRPG that's just top to bottom really 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 fun and I want well that, put together. I want that as a back of the box quotes weird nightmare broken thing. <laughs> Pretty much. And then Saga 2 like the end cl- the end climax to both games is you're climbing in Saga One. You're climbing up the outside of a tower, and it repeats the same environment over and over. And you're just chugging along, chugging along, and the encounters keep coming. And what little resources you have are getting drained and drained and drained away. And it keeps going. And you, but you feel it. You feel you're getting closer. And then you reach the top, and oh, and you you fight God, and who is actually Kawazu. Who's actually the guy who made the game. And he's just this dude who's been kind of following you G Man style the whole game. And it's Oh, it's 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 fucking heavy. Saga One is fucking heavy, and it feels real and it's just a really rich experience, I think. And Saga Two is the same thing. You're going down to the center of this world, going down the same the same staircase repeats as you're um as they just keep plugging encounters at you. They don't do that in the rest of the game. There's not, like, repeated environments a lot, but mm-hmm. they both have this climax where it just starts... Where it just feels relentless. <laughs> it's relentlessly throwing these things at you. And then you get to the both of the games, and unlike Saga 1, Saga 2, there's, you can't cheat it at all. There's no glitches or um, insta-kill moves that you can beat the bosses with. So when you get to that final boss... It's just way harder than you think it was going to be. You've got <laughs> Even to though you're it ready out. for it to be harder. 
and then it keeps going and you're pushing through the final boss and you feel like you got it and then it says Arsenal unleashed the smasher the music changes to a completely new song and it starts hitting you like 300 HP to every single one of you guys per turn and it just does that every single turn and then I barely made it through at the very end after it knocked out every single one of my safety nets and then pushed me never pulled its punches at all and then I won and it was just fucking transcendent can't argue with that yeah so Saga 1 yeah you can I got a lot out of playing Saga 1 and 2 together um but with Saga 1 there's this whole list of caveats that come with the aspect of playing it with Saga 2 as long as you go in kind of knowing that this is a game where you can fuck yourself over I, I just think it's perfect. <laughs> I think it's just a great game. Fantastic. Um, and I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And that's my number three. So what's going to top that with your two and one? <laughs> I played that's going to be it. That's going to be interesting. I played some great fucking games this year, Reed. <laughs> we oh all my did. god. Yep. Yeah, it was like after Revengeance, it was just like three games that were just like boom, boom, boom. Life is amazing. I'm very happy about <laughs> art and the world and the fact that I'm alive. All right, moving on. So I was excited about my number three game. And Mr. Smarty Pants over there, I can still see him snickering to himself, thinks he knows what it is. But he's What is it? What is it? My number three, I'm not going to talk about it a whole lot. I think we've talked it to death by now. Uh, my number three is Shovel Knight. Oh, okay. I, I, I think that we have gushed so much about that game on this podcast that it's hard to, you know, say much more. It's already got our ringing endorsement. I think everybody here and everybody <laughs> and everybody that's been a guest on this podcast since its inception has had a pretty positive opinion. And if these reader lists are anything to go by, I think I'm pretty right in saying that. Um, Four to three. It's Damn. pretty good. It's it's pretty good shovel night it, it's it. better you know it's better than pretty good it's amazing yeah it, it really is um mm-hmm. so with that john i bet that you've got a reader list for me do i mm-hmm. oh i do and it's a really cool one really let's hear it oh my god are you ready let's are you all ready for this let's go right. This is from Don1991. That's D-H-D-A-H-N. Good work with the podcast so far, y'all. Keep it up. Love Let's ya. see. These are my top three of the, for the year. Number three, The Legend of Zelda Twilight Princess. From all the 3D Zelda games I've played so far, this seems to be the most polished one. It has its flaws, a somewhat slow start, and items that are very specific and often of little use outside their dungeons. But it really shines in terms of atmosphere, dungeon design, and actually has a decent challenge. Hell, even the slower parts like the hunts for the Twilight Bugs are well done by keeping these segments short and contained. The best part, however, are the sheer amount of memorable quotes and character development your companion gets over the time of the game. A smart move considering that the Mute Link can't really change over time. Good choice. Any thoughts, y'all? I I have not beaten that game, but I do Mm -hmm. really like what that game does. I love its aesthetic. And, you know, if there's a Zelda game that I want to beat next other than Majora's Mask, it's definitely Twilight Princess because I really like just the implications that maybe something darker is there. And, you Mm -hmm. know, I'm interested. Mm -hmm. 
I basically know everything about that game. Um, I'm really excited for playing it because the dungeon design seems amazing, and just playing it sounds really enjoyable. Just at Um, the time, visually, the dungeons are really cool. Yeah. It seems like a really well-put-together game in a lot of ways. Um, A lot of the decisions with the story seem really questionable to me. I'll have to see until I actually play it. And overall, it just seems like a very safe game. Yeah. compared to some of the weird ones. And I, my favorite Zelda games are the weird ones, so Twilight Princess has kind of put me off until now for that reason, even though it seems like a yeah. really fun game. It's a good game, but they were just trying to be Ocarina of Time by being Ocarina of Time again. Mm-hmm. It's got Midna. Midna's pretty awesome. Mid- That's Midna true, right? Pretty- like, everyone loves Midna, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's a great character. So yeah, I'll, I'll definitely play that one at some point. Um, Alright, number two. Rocket Knight Adventures. This easily became my favorite Mega Drive game. The control is for the most part extremely accurate, and even the rocket blasts that are a bit hard to control at first are very fun to master. It is fun to figure out when to use your rocket and when to use your sword against something. The animations are utterly amazing, and somehow they made the hero both badass and adorable. The game has exactly the length it needs to have, and the build-up in the final levels is excellent when you leave the lush green lands and fight yourself through the giant enemy airship, the industrial capital, and finally space. Not to mention the many, many amazing bosses, the final gauntlet, and the re-entry into the atmosphere are just absolutely epic. This game sounds amazing. Jesus. Wait, have you not played it? I haven't played Rocket Knight Adventures. I know it's by the Contra Hardcore guy. You're yeah. missing out. This is should, seriously one of the best uh, Sega Genesis games out there. It's, it's yes. been at the top of my like Sega Sega games to play for a while. I just haven't gotten to it for some reason. But this looks fucking rad. Oh, it's so it's, good. It's really goddamn good. All right, I should probably play Rocket Knight Adventures, huh? Yes, like, you should. As far as just game feel and like character movement, like it's one of the best. Like it's it's so spot jetpack, on. The jetpack just feels so cool. You just go. Fl- fucking flying super fast with your sword pointing out. And the, mm. the game mechanics keep up with it. You know, it's a game like like a lot of games that we've mentioned over the course of this podcast. It, it gives you an extreme amount of power and it gives you mm-hmm. these crazy cool abilities but it's a game that is, oh my god, super fucking hard. Oh, cool. Alright, that sounds really good. You'll love it, I guarantee it. Alright, yeah, I believe you. Alright, number one. Sonic Boom Rise of dot 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 just kidding. <laughs> I and <laughs> I think <laughs> Sonic Boom looked really bad, huh? Oh, <laughs> and guess who wants to play it? You do. I do. You, you're sick. I'm going to buy a copy of that game and borrow a Wii U sometime in the new year. You're ragging on me so wait, much wait. for playing the Sonic Adventure games. You realize that's pretty funny. I, I, I don't. I don't even 2006. think. Two thousand six. What? I don't what even re- think so- Sonic Boom looks funny bad though it just looks boring bad i want to experience it oh i just i just i have to know it's one of those things where it's just like this game is so universally panned i i gotta know this game makes sonic 2006 look like sonic 2006 (laughs) (laughs) and i would rather play sonic 2006 than sonic adventure Hmm. and that's from the heart yo there's something wrong with you there there might be so is that uh, is that in, Don's list? It's like Sonic Adventure. Uh, no, there's also a number one. Okay, okay. I wasn't sure the way you left it off there. All right, we're up to number one. Five say to three. All right, 
Number one is Shovel Knight. Of course. It sure took a while for it to come out in Europe, but who cares, since this is just an amazing game. The controls are smooth, and the game manages to teach you with tutorials built that built perfectly into the flow of the levels instead of just having to explain it in some tedious fashion. Both music and the 8-bit style are pure fun, and the game is not afraid to improve on the old games it is taking inspiration from. The difficulty is challenging, but always fair. The graphics are free of the limitations of the old NES without losing its pixel charm, and the usual life system is dropped into exchange for something more modern. It really feels like a game that manages to marry what was great about old school games while at the same time embracing the improvements new games have brought. That Nobody's going to argue with that. It's Yep. It's... Yep. Um, it, <laughs> I mean, seriously, if there's a site-wide game of the year, it, it's Shovel Knight, clearly. Oh, five to three... <laughs> Well, maybe this is surprising some of the other lists. Clearly. Everybody else. Just saga one. Everyone else is saga, saga, saga. And we can still win this. That's we can still win it. this, y'all. It's not a competition. Oh. <laughs> oh Alright. Alright, just just for reals, Shovel Knight's great. Um the only reason I'm not at all I'm at all ambivalent at all. Um I played it right after Super Mario Land and Gargoyles Quest, which are both these old Game Boy um platformers that had really concise well-designed tight levels and coming off of those strange shovel night, I felt the levels were very long and kind of um, maybe not as concise as they could have been. And often maybe introducing new ideas without really fully um, t- capitalizing on them. Uh, I think that that game introduced its mechanics um, and new gimmicks and levels at a pretty good pace, and it gave you a lot of time to play around with them before really combining them with everything else that you had done in a mm-hmm. stage. So that makes sense. I think yeah, the, the I, levels. Is, yeah, go ahead. No, you go. Okay. Um, basically, everything about Shovel Knight on like the outside is so perfect. There's nothing about it that you can like latch onto and say and point out. This is a bad thing about Shovel Knight because everything about it is basically perfect. So if I have any, like, if I came out of it feeling not completely enthused, I have to c- try to figure out, like, the less obvious reasons. And for me, it was probably just, like, some of those levels felt like they didn't feel as tight as something like Super Mario Land or Star Guard or the kind of platformers that I really, really dig into. I think that's fair. Mm-hmm. I think those levels feel a little long the first time you're playing it because you're looking for all the secrets, but if you just mainline through them like straight ahead like they're really mm-hmm. not as long as they seem they're pretty oh, appropriate makes sense. to like Mega they're Man still they're, they're still a little longer than an average Mega Man level even when you're going through them pretty fast but I don't mm-hmm. think that they feel quite as long your second time through when you know the yeah. level mm-hmm. I haven't played it again since then so I should yeah, probably when do you're, that when you're not so concerned with looking for secrets and all of that and you know that you're not going to die to the same mm-hmm. traps that you fell for before you can get through those levels and through mm-hmm. that game entirely in a pretty quick Quick manner. Yeah. yeah, that was really the only thing I had against Freedom Planet's um, actual playing, playing, playing Freedom Planet was that the levels felt like they just kind of repeated themselves a little bit to me. Um, but yeah, if I'm, I'm joking when I'm being ambivalent about Shovel Knight and kind of Freedom right. Planet, um, because really those, it's just those kind of like hard to grasp um, qualities that, about them that make me at all not completely in love. I got you. And finally, a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year to you. Well, same to you, Don. Uh, I have a quick list from our good friend Garden of the Dead, a.k.a. Taylor. You might know her from Twitter. Very awesome person. 
glad she had time to spend some time with us and always been a big supporter of the podcast too so um her games are again are not listed in any specific order so i will just read them in the order that they are presented uh drakengard 3 because it's mindless entertainment and i really needed that this year that game's mindless entertainment basically to its core maybe even to its detriment um, but I had a really good time with it, even though it's it's nowhere on my lists or anything this year. It's just kind of a mindless hack and slasher with a lot of attitude and a lot of moxie, and the characters are just really fun, and it's just, you know, hey, I'm a violent, psycho, crazy woman, and I love <laughs> killing things and love having sex. That's her whole deal, and that's pretty awesome. And uh, we have here another vote for Shovel Knight, it simply says, solid controls and goofy charm. Uh, absolutely. And I've never heard of this last mention here. I'm going to hope that maybe John then has heard of it. It's called A Lullaby for a Heartsick Spacer. Uh, it just says Moody Atmosphere. I've never heard of that. I love that one. game. What is it? All right. It is a one-minute-long free browser game by Merrick Copus. Wait, is this the one where the world's going to end... No, no, that's Queers in Love at the End of the World. Oh, okay, okay. That's Anaanthropy, and that's the 10-second-long twine game with that's has a lot of text, actually. Yeah, and you don't get to read it all because the world ends in 10 minutes, or 10 exactly. seconds. So, Lullaby for Heartstick Spacer is... There are two objects in the game. There is There are blocks, and there is you. And it randomly generates a little cave in, like, a Metroid style. Mm-hmm. And you just poke around in this cave... You can kind of fly a little bit. You can kind of jump a little bit, and then you just... And then the only button you have is you lay down and take a nap and listen to a nice lullaby. So basically, you find the coziest-looking nook in this randomly generated Metroid-y world, (laughs) cuddle up into it, and then go to sleep. Wow. That's... (laughs) I'm playing it right now. It's really nice. It's basically like an experiment in... When we talk about the old Metroid games, we often talk about how oppressive and isolating they can feel. Right. Um, this was taking the coziness of Metroid, and especially some areas in Super Metroid, where you can feel like, this is a nice little space that is just for me right now. I'm going to turn like, into a ball and just hang out here. Yeah, I just want to be in this little area and feel good. And it's just like the video game equivalent of rolling up in a nice, warm um, uh, blanket and drinking hot chocolate. Wow. Yeah, it's That's... probably my favorite Maricopas game from this year. She released a bunch of like tiny little proof-of-concept type deals. Not proof-of-concept, but just like these games that express a single idea really quickly, and that's it. And I really, really liked um, Lullaby for Heart Spaker Spacer. I will give that a look before I go to sleep tonight. Maybe it'll make me cozy enough to drift off fast. Yep. So, uh, we are fitting, moving closer to the danger zone. We're in it now. We're in the trenches. Here it is. Rhett, drop us a big number two. Are you ready for the biggest? Because it's about to fall. Go for it. Number two, The Legend of Zelda, colon, Majora's Mask. Oh, damn. Wow, that is high. 
Shout outs to Moosey McMahon, who is the Legend <laughs> oh of Zelda Majora's Mask's biggest fan. I'm sure he's happy Wait. with this. Mm-hmm. Is that how it went? I think. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Moosey he, loves, he loves that Moosey. game, right? Yeah, 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 definitely. Okay, he yeah. Number one fan. He he doesn't like he doesn't like Majora's Mask. If you're confused. He did not like it. Oh, okay. <laughs> Got it. Okay. Do you get the joke? Okay, good. So yeah. <laughs> Majora's Mask is really good, isn't it? So I mentioned earlier how Valkyria Chronicles was like the perfect fusion of gameplay and story. But Majora's Mask for me was just entirely about the story and the atmosphere and the gameplay part was just kinda eh. subservient to that. Yeah. And it made me frustrated enough times to where I almost quit and I'm really glad I didn't. <laughs> But I don't think I've ever played a game that just felt like it was trying to express, like, thematically, I don't know how to say this, but, like, it seems like a game super ripe to just think about it and be introspective and ruminate, try to figure out what it's trying to say. Like, I think very directly this is a game about, like, dealing with the death of a loved one and going through depression. Like, Mm -hmm. it's really crazy. really spoke to me in kind of weird ways that I didn't expect from a Zelda game. Mm-hmm. And also just the reality of being a good person and yeah, like dealing it, with the reality that eventually everyone you know is going to die and everyone else is going to die. <laughs> what good do your actions actually have in the world? Yeah, And then like, coming out at the end of that and being like supportive and hopeful like it flips the Zelda formula on its head by you do good things for people and then reset time and all those things have been undone. But all you're left with are the masks that kind of represent the memories of the deeds that you did. So you carry that forward, even though those people are gone. It's yeah. You you hang mm -hmm. on to the things. It's definitely a game. You can really, you can find that meaning in. Yeah. There is symbolism here. Very overtly, or maybe not. Maybe I'm just reading way too deep into this game. Well, no, re- I think the I, reality the reality yeah. of your good deeds is yeah. immortal, ultimately. He said, the masked man looks at your mask and says, there is a lot yeah. of happiness in these masks, and yeah. it's beautiful. Wow, <laughs> it's I, really almost, nice. I almost just choked up there. <laughs> okay. And <laughs> there's one part in the game, and it is kind of spoilers because it's in the ending that I didn't mention on that three and a half or whatever podcast we did about <laughs> it. But so the big thing in the game, or one of the big things, is how, the big timer, and like it says, three days remaining, two days remaining. Dawn of the final day. Yeah, dawn of the final day. When you beat the game, the screen comes up, dawn of a new day. Oh. And instead of black uh, with white text, it's white, a w- bright white background with little black text. And it feels like this burden has been lifted from your shoulders. Like <laughs> this incredible moment of like, it's over. It's okay now. And that just hit me incredibly uh, hard. It's like, like, yeah, I can move on. You Link, know, this yeah, is exactly. done. Wow. Link is mm-hmm. moving on from symbolic depression or whatever that's fucking poignant it's such a it's such a hopeful game everyone just kind of hones in on how dark it is and dreary it is and then ultimately it's so hopeful 
I got, the, it, I got the same kind of feelings when I played through uh, Persona 3 The Answer, uh, and it has a lot of the same kind of feelings about learning to, you know, though it tackles the issue more directly of learning to deal with the loss of a loved one. Um, mm-hmm. And it has the same kind of, you know, like, you know, look, you've got to pick your stuff up and you've got to move on at some point, but you still have the memories to, you know, that sustain you. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Woof! It's <laughs> really heavy. It gives it's, me that yeah, feels like there. It's a game that's like really, really frustrating to actually play, and I I quit it a couple times too. Um, in that sense, it reminds me a lot of Problematic, which was a game that is was really rough for me to play. But then just coming at the end of it is just this super heavy kind of uplifting feeling, and I think Majora's Mask is even more of that. Yeah, like I think Majora's Mask works because it's so oppressive and it lets mm-hmm. you fuck up and fail and have to like redo parts because of the timer and like oh. the, the end of the Anju Cafe quest that is like designed to make you fail the first time. Oh mm-hmm. God. It's just, just so fucking evil. It's just like you can. So I failed it the first time and then I went to sleep like on a really down note. And then when I got up the next day, I'm like, you know, I'm just going to play the, keep playing the game and I'm going to do it right this time. Mm-hmm. Like it's a game about taking your lumps and persevering, mm-hmm. I guess. Uh huh. Just having to leave him in that room. Anyway, you go back in yeah. time, and the idea of like in in the meta text, the whole meta Zelda meta fiction of create every time Link travels back in time, he's creating well, a new alternate <laughs> world. So I'm not thinking about the Zelda yeah. timeline. I no, no no no. It's it's just that when you leave. Every time you fail and have to restart or something, it feels less like you're starting over and more like you're leaving this world and condemning it to this fate and then going and starting a new in a new line. It was just yeah. that added, having that little moment kind of say what I like to call pulling a Rika. Yeah. <laughs> Fans of Higurashi will know what that means. Yeah. <laughs> and it, um, it just Yeah, it does really capture that feeling of helplessness and futility that Higurashi did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is yeah, like, you're, condemned you're, to this, fight, you're, you're fighting f- against this impossible fate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel like, I feel like Majora's Mask um, resolves it better than Higurashi does, at least in the cartoon. Obviously, <laughs> I never yeah. read the visual novel. But um, Majora's Mask, just that resolution is just so solid. And, oh, I played it on an emulator, and the emulation was perfect. Almost. <laughs> this is the one visual effect in the whole game that didn't work and I didn't even know it was there was when the timer is ticking down at the end of a new day apparently on the actual cartridge the screen starts pulling away from you and oh getting smaller oh, and I saw that yeah. in a video and I was just my mind just got blown because <laughs> the, the version I played I was like oh the transitions between days are kind of stilted but that oh that oh, must have so just that must, yeah in the field game so I was able to just kind of take that effect and mentally insert it into my experience of that game and I just made it that much more resonant. I remember Ugh. that I remember that effect coming up like I had slow time like the song of D- slow time uh-huh. and I was in a dungeon so the time was like super moving super slowly mm-hmm. so, and I was like playing the ocarina so that zoomed out effect lasted like several minutes it was really weird. <laughs> <sighs> it's like at regular yeah. time it's like maybe 20 seconds that's awesome yeah, yeah. So that's a that's a heavy game. ass that's a heavy yeah. ass game huh i think yeah. i think the um dawn of a new day thing the only 
symbol I can think of that kind of approaches that is at the end of Mother 3, when you see the revitalized logo that's all wood after the credits. Yeah. From the corrupted version on the main title screen. That was a similar kind of like, oh, just kind of feeling like it's reaching up into something is reaching into you for a second and it's kind of (laughs) (laughs) okay then jonathan i hear that you want to drop a big old number two as well my number two is legend of zelda majora's mask (laughs) (laughs) nice i'm really i'm really glad it wasn't my number one because that would have been really anticlimactic (laughs) i think that's the first time lists have overlapped yeah Uh I had a feeling that was going to happen. I thought John might put it as his number one, so I was a little feeling bad about stealing his thunder. Oh, but I think that, you know, the conversation had just now really kind of shears it up. I'm Mm -hmm. I'm glad it's his number two, though, so we... Yeah, exactly. We can just say that's my number two. That game is really fucking rad. It is the smartest and most resonant game that I played this year. Wow. I really, really love Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask. And it's my favorite Zelda game. I think I'm pretty solid <laughs> on that right now. And I, like I said, I'm super excited to give it a go on the 3DS. Mm-hmm. So that'll be awesome. It's funny, cool. too, because I just kind of picked it up on a whim specifically because you said you were playing it. Because I was playing it? Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't even remember why. You just tweeted, like, I'm going to play Majora's Mask. And I'm thinking, I'm going to play Majora's Mask, too, because that's the game I want to play. And it'll be cool to play it at the same time as John. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it was like, we like Sonic Adventure, right? I don't know where that sprung from. Something just sprung into my brain. I should play Sonic Adventure right now. And like play with Majora's Mask, it turned out a lot better. I should play Sonic Adventure now. Boggy. <laughs> that game was really good, y'all. I'm oh. a fucking waste of a character. Majora's Mask is not Sonic Adventure. No, it's not. Well, it's kind of good. Majora's Mask is way better, though. <laughs> I've yeah, never played it. I've never played it. And I'll say that Majora's Mask is... It beats the shit out of Sonic Adventure. Mm-hmm. Agreed. So, Polly. Yo, I think what's that up? that you have a big old number two you want to drop on. I'm track. ready to drop the number two. And I think I'm going to shatter little Rhett's dreams of understanding or thinking he knows what my list is all about. I think I, so, anyway. I highly doubt it. My number two game of the year is The Last of Us. Expected. Okay. Cool. Uh, okay. Badass choice. That that game, a lot of people like to peg this game as an emotional roller coaster, and I think too often people mistake that for meaning, oh, this game's going to make you cry. And that's not a feeling I had once uh, during The Last of Us. Uh, My feelings for The Last of Us ranged from being awestruck to what was happening in front of me to being terrified while moving and trying to survive through these very just dark and scary places. Generator room. Oh, my God. And, And... the thing that I ended up feeling most of that game was anytime something major happened, my reaction was, oh, damn. You know, I was never saddened when something happened. It was just like the implications of the things that happened in that game mm-hmm. are really what drive the narrative forward. 
Uh, and for me, I think that it's one of those perfect examples of where the gameplay feels perfectly married to its narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, because of the way that the threats are presented to you, the way the areas are presented, the way every encounter is just like, you know, you're... You know, the moments that I found that had the most tension for me in that game was where I was, like, trying to make things on the fly. You know, I I was not the kind of person that if I was, like, if I got detected, oh, back to the checkpoint. It's like, no, that's not how you play that game. You play that game as a survivor if you're going to get everything out of it. So, like, when I'm detected and I don't have, you know, any nail bombs or Molotov cocktails, it's like, oh, shit. They know where I'm at. Oh, God, I hope I can make this fucking bomb fast enough. You know, and then the moment that you finish crafting it, you throw it out and you successfully divert their attention to that bomb and it blows up and takes everyone out is fantastic. But it's not only the gameplay for me for that game. It's it's the story and characters. They're they're just simply Naughty Dog's best. Um, Joel and Ellie, they are just like... You know, Ellie is one of the most likable video game characters ever. Um, just seeing her reactions to the world and knowing, you know, where she comes from and how she fits into this post-apocalyptic world and how that contrasts with Joel. Um, and how, you know, you might not necessarily like Joel by the end of this game or at all. Um, and I think a lot of people get a lot of things twisted about that game where they think that Joel is some kind of substitute for the player or a cipher. And Mm -hmm. I, I, I never felt that at all. You know, this is a game that's just like, you know, this is an interactive story. You're playing, you know, like our gameplay is part of the narrative. The narrative is part of the narrative and it all just, it's so perfectly put together. The writing could not be better. The gameplay, it feels like it should it has the proper weight behind it. It has, you know, the proper consequences for fucking up. Um, you know, I just... I, I can't think of enough good things to say about that game. Uh, it's just... Yeah, it's... It, 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 it says things in a way that I don't think many video game narratives have. Uh, mm. And the way that it tackles its choices and the things that its character does... Um, it, it, it's just simply amazing top to bottom. And yeah, I, I fucking love that game. I have, there's one observation. Um, a lot of people complain about in that game, how right after the big emotional beats happen, it cuts to black and then cuts like three months into the future. If you remember, it's really smart to do that though. Yeah. I feel like the whole time, the entire game, they are denying you catharsis and yes. emotional closure. Yes. Right up until the very end. Like, yep. play, play, contrast this with Walking Dead. Um, the Telltale game makes you feel the weight, the yes. full emotional weight of every single one of your choices and what the events that happen, like with the cannibalism house and the one episode... Yeah, where there, there's instant they, catharsis you can release. You you exactly get, you get to feel they, those emotions. The villains die hard. The villains die in specific ironic ways. Everything kind of works out in a way that is not good and happy for everyone, but makes emotional sense and it concludes. And right up until the very end, it pushes everything as far as it can go emotionally and makes you feel everything every single beat. Whereas in 
Last of Us. There's a similar. There's a cannibalism thing in Last of Us, and it just kind it's of totally barely different. remarks on it. Yeah, it's it's a it's, totally different. They t- they tackle that in a completely different way. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And like you said, you know, it's it, it's not letting. It's a game that doesn't let you get comfortable in your emotions. It's mm-hmm. it, it it leaves you unnerved for a lot of reasons, uh, mm-hmm. and it does it to just amazing detail. You know, I was thinking about the climax of that game. You know, for a good few days afterward, and like the implications of what it meant, or who was, you know, it's not even a matter of who's right and who's wrong. It's just like, hey, this happened, and my reaction can only be, damn. You know, and uh, I, I think that that okay. game is, that game is so ripe for uh, a podcast uh, next year. You know, I would, yeah, really, I would really love for, you know, I know Boner would be up. Uh, for having a roundtable discussion about it, and you know, so when Rhett gets around to playing it, I would definitely uh, <laughs> love to have an episode about that. I Dude. really need to play that game. Yes, you do. Yes, you yeah, do. it's yeah, fucking amazing. I, I mean, it, it wasn't on my list for some reason. <laughs> I think I just picked a bunch of games that I really wanted to talk about, and I felt like Last of Us was getting a bunch of people talking about it already, mm-hmm. and I didn't know how much I could add. Um, but that game is fucking amazing and as good as any game i've played this year probably so that rounds out the number twos uh i bet that there's a big old user list in our future isn't there i think there might be uh-huh <gasps> Ooh. okay okay so <laughs> what you just go- checked, i just checked which one i get to read what have you right. what have you got Rhett? uh this is jet storm four's top games for the Sox cast his mega list. Oh god. <laughs> We're doing this one in shifts, folks. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Hi Soxcast. How are you all doing? As you know, I played some video games this year, and apparently what we do at the end of the year is yell and about what we thought were the best games we played. I'm going to do that. Note that I'm not going to talk about Shovel Knight as I'm sure everyone else is. God, Shovel Knight just keeps coming up. <laughs> Like, there's been multiple mentions of, oh, everybody's talking about Shovel Knight, so I won't. I mean, you think you've put that game away and someone just digs it right up. <laughs> if you haven't played it, fix that immediately. So even if Shovel Knight's not on his list, he calls it out anyways. Anyway, here we go. Okay, these aren't numbered, so the first game on his list is Bayonetta 2. Woo! Such a fun, high-energy high energy action game from Platinum Games. Bayonetta 2 was a tight an improved experience from Bayonetta, which I also thought was superb, that felt great to play through. The game's combo system was easy to understand, yet fun to master as different weapons and abilities get thrown into the mix. The levels were well designed and kept the action going at a smooth pace with battles being spread out just enough to take a small breather from time to time. And the boss battles. Oh, the boss battles. Each boss required observation and learning their attack patterns and knowing when to dodge and strike the boss. While the story was nothing to get excited about, I enjoyed the characters for, and the fun romp the game is. Bayonetta, Bayonetta 2 has easily became, become my favorite Wii U game, and I will continue to play it even more. Santa Rodin is the best Rodin. <laughs> the fact that Revengeance is apparently like one of the lesser Platinum games yeah. got me really, really, really psyched up to play like all of them. You, should be, especially very, like you should be very excited for Bayonetta and, uh, and Vanquish especially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm definitely going to get a Wii U next big holiday after opportunity. Not this Christmas, but sometime soon. Mm-hmm. Those That system with all those all of those Platinum games. Oh, man. So, John, why don't you read Jetstorm's <clears throat> second game? 
Well, first I'd like to point out that he didn't actually list Shovel Knight as one of the games, so it doesn't count. Okay. And second, he listed <laughs> the Final Fantasy Legend. That's a saga, saga game. You're not fooling me. Saga 1. Makai Toshi Saga. <clears throat> um, oh, I never actually explained the history for how we all got playing Saga. So earlier in like May, <laughs> I launched the Socks Make People Sexy Plays Hide Lied 2014. I do remember that. Hashtag slash t- Twitter hashtag slash Tumblr tag slash <laughs> Socks Forum event. And I got Fresno to – no, wait, no, Fresno didn't play it. Jetstorm was the only other person who played through Hyde Lied with me. And it was really bad and just dreadful. <laughs> Ugh. You felt Ugh. terrible for yourself afterward. Oh, man. It's a, it's yeah. Every bit as bad as Pat said it was. Well, I don't know if it's that. Well, it's pretty bad. Um, if you look at it in the right historical context, there's some, there's some interesting things to note about Hyde Lied. But nevertheless, um, Fresno started – Socks Make People Sexy plays the Final Fantasy Legend event um, a couple months ago. And I was kind of like, eh, okay, fine. And I played and I booted up the Final Fantasy Legend. Jetstorm booted up, Zellas booted it up, and every one of us played through it and loved the Final Fantasy Legend. So that's the history of how that happened to everybody on this forum. Um, here's what Jetstorm actually has to say. Okay. Um, I blame Fresno for this one. I also blame John for this one. Thank you. The Final Fantasy Legend, or Saga, was always a game on my radar. I attempted the game way back when, but was never able to get far. However, I was always intrigued by it. When Fresno came to me and said he was going to make it a group playthrough, I instantly went in on it. It was an excuse to give this game another go. I'm glad I did. I'm glad I grasped the game's strange mechanics this time. I knew now that humans gain stats through purchasing them in shops, and new monsters could turn into other monsters by eating meat that spread across the random encounters. And I knew that mutants gained stats and new abilities based on how they acted in battles. Um, sure, as far as I can tell, it's just fucking random. I don't understand it at all. <clears throat> the bosses fell quickly, the guests quests kept going in these strange, interesting places, and I felt like I was in control of this game by the end of the third world. Then Suzaku appeared. The fourth world of Saga had me on the edge. Each random encounter on the surface level was against an unwinnable boss that would slaughter my party. This fear was felt by the inhabitants of the world as well. It was a part of the game I had trouble with. I had control so much, but not as much. However, once the bird fell, that wasn't the end. The final part of the game held some interesting discussion as to what this world that I had explored really was and why it was built this way. It's a game. It's a game. Nevertheless, it was an impressive ending for a little Game Boy game. I loved playing through this game. It has quickly turned into one of my favorite games on the system, possibly my favorite Game Boy RPG. Hopefully Saga 2 turns out as well when I get to that one. Eh, whatever about that one, but Saga 1, definitely. <laughs> um, I think he hones in on an interesting thing here, which is that by the end of the third world in Saga 1, you pretty much have a good handle of the mechanics and how to progress your party, and you're probably pretty overpowered. And then from the fourth world on, it suddenly just is like, it starts battering you, and just totally pulls the rug out from underneath you and makes you feel like you don't understand anything again, just like at the very start of the game. And it keeps that going all that momentum going all the way through to the last boss. It's really fucking cool. I'll it's take your really word for it. Cool. I will probably <laughs> never play the game again. I do own oh. those games, but okay. I'll take but your you, word for it. Yeah. It's, it's, Oh my God. It, it's, it's really dreadful to play. And the fact that in the way that it doesn't really explain any of its mechanics, 
and to an even great to a much greater extent than Saga Two. Like Saga One doesn't even tell tell you what abilities you've learned or unlearned um, for your mutants and what stats have gained and decreased, and it doesn't tell you that if your character dies three times, then they're dead permanently. Um, you don't even know when you get a game over in this game. It's just all over the place. Yeah, and the stats just feel way less balanced. Like my mutant had 900 HP by the time it was out of the third, wor- the first world, for some reason. Um, by the time so, you got to the third world, he had 23. <laughs> that sounds pretty close. But I really, really like that game, and I'm really happy that so many people played through it with me. It has a lot of representation on at the end of the year, you know, regardless of the fact that, you know, I know that it was a weird competition for you versus Shovel Knight, but... Yeah, I guess that's four for Saga, Uh, and I think that puts it in second place, at least. So Saga gets the silver medal for SMPS Games of the Year, I think. Because this competition, you know... Mm -hmm. Oh, it's absolutely a competition. But, you know, Jetstorm also has a Game of the Year. Oh, man. What is it? Yeah, so... It's Danganronpa 2 Goodbye Despair. Oh, Reed Fresno played this one. Yes, he did. And Jetstorm goes on to say, My personal game of the year, Danganronpa 2, was not a game I was expecting this year. I caught wind of the series before the PS Vita release of Danganronpa Trigger Happy Havoc. While I played through and enjoyed it, I thought nothing really. I, I, I really thought nothing of it, but decided I would play other games in the series. Glad I did, because DR2 came, took the first game, and flipped it on its head. I can't really say much about the plot of DR2 without spoiling anything, but let's just say it's about 16 teenagers who are considered the best of the best, trapped on an island paradise, forced to make friends with each other. However, events turn sour... Uh, and Monokuma, the series' mascot character, shows up and declares everyone needs to start killing each other in order to escape the island. It takes multiple twists and turns and shows the brutality of these murders and bright neon pink blood. DR2 works especially well with the first game taken into context. DR2's plot subverts the first game, which had a theme of hope always conquering over despair. DR2 through the story shows us there will always be there will always be despair and hope, but those things do not define us. Likewise, Danganronpa had a had a theme of embracing your talents and that these talents make us different. DR2, on the other hand, is about how our talents don't define us. We don't have to be locked to them. DR2 felt <clears throat> great to play. The investigations, the visual novel, the trials themselves all make up an amazing game about a bunch of high school students murdering each other. Each character and setting is stylized and exaggerated, yet the whole premise wouldn't work if they if they weren't... Uh, if they weren't. Because of their different personalities, the characters are easy to relate to and become attached. It's even more disheartening when one of when one is murdered, or worse, when they commit murder. These individual characters feel great in the situations they're placed in, and it's fun to see how they react to their environment with each other. Finally, the game is a fulfilling experience. By the ending, of, by the, ending the events will all close, and all hanging threads will be tied. It's one of the most hopeful endings I've ever seen from a game and it was the outcome I felt suited the game's overall needs. Dargadopar 2, as I said, was a surprise for me, but it's nonetheless made me think and feel the most out of any other game I played this year. Dang. 
pretty that's, cool. That's some pretty high ra- praise. Like, I, I always kind of wish those games would come to um, 3D. Anything as. besides, besides Anything the Vita? that's not the Vita? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't see it ever happening, unfortunately, but... I don't know why. It's I know, just... it's just uh, because Virtue's Last Reward was on both. Uh, and those, and that's also a Spike Tune soft game. Oh, yeah. oh, they're the same people. Like I always kind of associate it with Nine 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 and Virtue's Last Reward, but yeah, Spike Tune soft uh, developed both. I don't huh. think I don't think it's the same director, but I do know that they've both come from mm-hmm. the same company. That's cool. Yeah, if I dig the um those du- that duology, then I'll probably check out Dying and Robot. Blah, blah, blah. Dang it, uh, Ron Paul! Once, once Vita's become more <laughs> accessible, yeah. So I think we can all agree that really Danganronpa two is number one in our hearts. Agreed. Oh no! Can can Saga still be number one in my heart? John, I I don't it, see why not. Apparently, it's number three on your heart. Yeah, oh. it's, if it's <laughs> you've you've <laughs> well, kind of four, really you kind of yeah. I guess the true colors show. Yeah, well, Majora's Mask is really good. I agree. <laughs> I mean, but, come on. Saga, Saga's obviously great. We all know this, but Majora's Mask, come on. I hate to break it to you guys, but it, it's not all rainbows and sunshine. It's not? Unfortunately, Aww. there are times in our life where we can become somewhat distraught at the choices some of our games have made or some of the people making them have made or some of the things that people who play them have made. So I think, just for a moment, we should acknowledge some of the things that disappointed us quite a bit throughout the year. And I think we'll keep the cycle going the way we should. Uh, Rhett, what is your disappointment of 2014? Aww. So I said during the pre-show stuff that my disappointment would make you sad. Okay. Okay. And my most disappointing game of 2014, which actually is from 2014, mm-hmm. it was Electronic Super Joy Groove City. What? <laughs> which was a game you gifted to me. Aw, well, that doesn't bother me. But I I, I'm kind of confused because I'm. Expansion pack or what? So it's, it's a kind of a mini expansion pack that was sold by itself. And the reason it's super disappointing is because it's like 45 minutes long. Oh, So I beat it in under an hour and just kind of went, that's it. Like, this was like $7 or something, and Polly bought it for me, and I'm done after less than an hour. Did you, oh, bummer. Did you just, like, not enjoy what was there? Or was it just the fact that, wow, this really is not worth what they were asking? A little bit of both. Like, it... It was okay. I think the biggest problem with Groove City is that they actually took out the stomp move, which was one of my favorite things about the original. Uh, Why would they do that? That's a key mechanic. So the whole thing is just straight platforming now. There's none of the double jump for some levels or stomp for some levels. Like it's just jump and move. So it feels it actually feels like a step back from the original in some ways. Yeah, the stomp move was like you know I didn't get far in that game. It just I, I wasn't in the mood for it. I liked what it was yeah. doing, but I wasn't in the mood. But I really liked how that stomp move felt. It's probably the best thing in the game. Like yeah, it's just you can like, kind of jump and clap to the beat. Yeah. So they took that out. Like it's a reworked engine, and it seemed like he was going to use Groove City as the base for new content. And even weirder is like earlier this month, I think. 
he released an expa- a new expansion for the original Electronic Superjoy. So it's like Groove City has just kind of been left out to dry or something. That's weird. weird. And like, there's a level editor for it, but it's like not finished and really kind of janky. Janky? Yeah, so it was disappointing. Because I do really like the original game there. Oh, yeah, I know. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, I've had that one on my in my Steam queue for a while. I'm really excited to play it at some point. It's really unfortunate. I'm I'm heartbroken that my gift to you. Aww. I mean, I, <laughs> I played it. I actually played it through twice because I was like, I gotta get something out of this. And then, like, even the achievements, like, I got all the achievements in, like, my first playthrough. Like, one, wow. of, them, one, of, them, one of them is, like, play through the whole thing in one sitting. Oh, wow. It's weird because the first game has, like, these insane beat the game without dying stuff that... It's like, yeah, that, fuck you, ain't happening. Yeah, so... But there was still something left to achieve in that game, and I 100%ed Groove City, like, super quickly. That's crazy. I just thought it, that it was, like, an expansion that added more levels to the base game. I didn't know that it was, like, this standalone weirdo thing. Yeah, it's a weird thing. Especially now that he's gone back to updating the original. Wow. So, Jonathan, I know that you are the most positive person in the world and never have a bad thing to say about anything, but I know, I, right? I, I know there's something out there that had to disappoint you this year. What was it? Well, there are a number of disappointments I had. I was a little disappointed in Framed, which was um, that iPhone game that uh, tells a story through a comic book thing, and it was fun, but it didn't really come together in a neat way for me. It just felt like a bunch of disconnected puzzles. That bummed me a, out. I was a little disappointed in Freedom Planet, which also didn't really feel as incisive as I wanted it to be. Those are just games that were disappointing because the version of them that I was playing in my head before I actually bought them and sat down and played them was it just didn't live up to that vision, which like something like Revengeance um, totally lived up to all, everything I'd heard about it. So those are just disappointments. Um, and... But I think that kind of a really weird, subtle, most disappointed, dis- most disappointing game of 2014 for me was probably Sonic Adventure 2. Whoa. 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 Yeah, what? I mean, I, I played Sonic Adventure 1 and played, sunk 13 hour into, hours into it. I went straight into Sonic Adventure 2 and sunk another 13 hours into it. And I just played it all the way through, straight through both routes, and then beat the full road. I had a fun time, I thought. I um, beat the... I stood up and went like, live and learn! The ending, and it was all great. And then I sat down and then just kind of felt empty and just not very rewarded. Um, Sonic Adventure 1 is such a weird, weird, weird ass game. Um, nothing about it is really, really good, it, but it has this kind of vision to it that's interesting to me and it has a couple story moments that really moved me mm-hmm. so i found myself loving that game in spite of itself and then sonic adventure sonic adventure one i didn't like it for like two hours i kept playing it and i was like all right i'm gonna stick with this for a little bit longer it's probably bad the pinball part really oh god the pinball part really you. kills the momentum yeah so then i played a lot of that and then I played Sonic Adventure 2, and I booted it up, and it was like, holy shit, rolling around at the speed of sound. And it was great. And the Sonic levels in those games are so, is like so mind-bogglingly fun. Like, I think they're fucking rad as hell. Um, 
and then, then I play through, and then they had all the Tails and Knuckles levels, and they're boring and <laughs> kind of dreadful. And then the story kind of moves along, and it introduces Shadow, and he's kind of like this Vegeta character, and kind of eh. And they introduce Rouge, Rouge, Rogue, whatever, and she's <laughs> kind of eh. And then, Cringeworthy. Then the whole evil route was really bad because there were like four sonic shadow levels throughout the whole thing. There's just no momentum to that evil route at all. Yeah, you don't you, like it's four stages until you actually get a speed section in that uh, uh-huh. in that round. And the rest is just Eggman, Rouge, Eggman, and all the Eggman and Tails levels. You just move along, blow up some enemies, move along, blow up some enemies, do some it, light platforming. It's really filler. Yeah, it's filler. And the Knuckles segments and the Rouge segments are just filler. And then the Shadow and Sonic levels are mind-blowingly good. And then the ending is big and dramatic and we're lear- living and learning. And it really thinks that it's this big, excite- big, dramatic conclusion. And it's just really dumb. <laughs> Even though there's a part of me that was really enjoying myself. But it didn't seem as aware of itself as something like your vengeance. Yeah, definitely. And it, it's definitely taking itself seriously, more serious than any Sonic game has a right to. Yeah, it was the most serious, self-serious Sonic game up to that point. And Sonic Adventure had a little bit of that, but it's self-serious in a really weird way, and it felt more sincere to me and less commercialized, I guess. Right. And I guess I could kind of narrow it down to. Sonic Adventure 2 feels like a video game and it's an alternatingly competent and insufferable video game and Sonic Adventure 1 feels like a Dreamcast game (laughs) yeah I I think that's fair I think it kind of encapsulates all the weirdness and not really there-ness but still fascinating coolness of that system and Sega's spirit in general and I find Sonic Adventure 1 to be very interesting to mull over, and I'm glad that I experienced it. And Sonic Adventure 2 just kind of came and went through my brain, and I think I'm just kind of done with it. Resounding thud. Yep. So I've got a couple of things that I find disappointing. Um, I'm not really cheating because one of them isn't a game, so I'll get that one out of the way first. I think that pretty much most people listening to this podcast and everybody here as a host and anybody that's guest hosted (laughs) can agree that probably the most disappointing thing about games this year is games, gamers, everything about them. The community. Everything about this community is fucking terrible and rotten to the core. Oh. Oh, fuck all video games. Just absolutely terrible terrible yeah (laughs) yeah i'm glad you brought that up (laughs) um i I don't think that any game you know could could reach the levels of disappointed that i am with where this community is and how it still treats people and just how non-inclusive it can be uh, despite the fact that, you know, it's just like, how can people who say they love video games so much actively show that they actually dislike them and their creators so mm-hmm. much? Um, and then, it, and on top of all of that, 
on top of all of this, you know, I'm not going to mince words. We're talking about Gamergate bullshit and that oh, yeah. kind of thing. <laughs> but on top of that, just how cynical AAA development is these days and, and just how we are in such a rush to get these games out to market without the slightest thought as to whether we're putting out a product that's actually worth the money people are plunking down for it. It's just a matter of product and getting shit out there. And just this, just how absolutely fucking cynical this industry is. You know, it's just like, at this point, it's just, I feel like, you know what, this, this industry deserves to fucking perish with the way people are acting, you know, and the way companies just don't care. The fucking Halo Master Chief Collection still doesn't work. Yeah, I was really surprised just how broken that is because a few episodes ago I mentioned like Assassin's Creed Unity and Sonic Boom, haha, they're broken. And I kind of shrugged off Master Chief Collection because even then I was like, well, they don't fuck those games up. That'll be fine. Yeah. And it's like a month later and it's like still completely broken for some people. Like, what the fuck is going on? It's to the point now that they're giving away ODST for free and that's, that's not solving the problem. People bought a fucking $60 game to play that $60 game, and it's just amazing how fucking shitty this industry and this community is, and it's so hard to be positive uh, about games these days, Mm -hmm. um, just because of how companies view people that purchase their games, and... And And then just how misogynist and evil gamers are. You know, it's, it's... You know, it's like... It's like the big publishers and that fan base are fucking made for each other. They're made for each other. Clearly they are. And those are the people that those people will rush to defend. Mm -hmm. You know, like, where's why aren't you complaining about those ethics of releasing products before they're fucking finished? Because it was never about ethics. Of course. I know that. that. I know that. Also, the fact that almost none of the... None of the big game sites released anything on Gamergate for, like, two months, and then they released, like, toothless... We're against harassment statements and then said nothing for two more months. Yeah, it's it's a shitty situation. Yeah, I'm very, very disappointed in all of those. Very disappointed in the escapist. Fuck the escapist. (laughs) Let me. (laughs) The way they handled this whole thing was just all of Gamergate was absolutely dreadful and they should be ashamed of themselves. Let me insert a John Locke quote here. I am very disappointed. In all of you. And that about sums up how I feel <laughs> about that whole situation. Mm-hmm. So I I'm guess I'm really we can... glad that we had this podcast where I can come on and be positive about games for, that I'm playing and enjoying for a little while. Yeah. Because it's, it's, it's very. Because it's hard to be positive. It's hard to be positive. Mm-hmm. It really is. Because um... games are good. Video games are good. I really like video games. Y'all really like video games, right? Right. So, there's just all this hate and scum and poison surrounding this medium, and it's really unfortunate. Yeah, I can only really hope that the next year sees this toxicity Mm -hmm. at least decline to some degree. Yep. You know, I love this hobby, I love being a part of it, but I don't want to be a part of it. Oh yeah, there's no way, yeah, like... And I'm not, I I wouldn't be allowed. There's no way in hell I'm ever gonna, I'm getting a CS degree. But there's right. no way in hell I'm ever going to touch this industry with like a ten foot pole professionally. And and Just no I'm, interest. I'm not even welcome in this industry or this uh-huh. community. Aww. So 
I, I, I just really hope that there's some kind of change over the next year and that I don't have to say, you know, I don't have to put that little fucking rant out there again. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't want to continue being disappointed in all of you. Give me a reason to, give me a reason to believe. Mm-hmm. So thank you for addressing that. Moving on. Um, I have a game that disappointed me quite a bit. And I ruminated on what game disappointed me the most quite a bit throughout the last month or so of putting my list together. Um, And I can only think of one game that really just, like, when I played it, I, I, I was initially just like, oh, wow, this is really cool. And by the time that I finished it, I just asked myself, what? That's it? And that game is unfortunately Supergiant Games' Transistor. Um, I wanted to love everything about this game. This game has a lot of heart. It has a lot of polish. It has amazing presentation. And it has probably my soundtrack of the year. But as a game, I just... I was not interested. All of I, I didn't find myself engaged that often. Um, I thought that the mechanics were solid, but the game they built around those mechanics just did not feel compelling. Like, I was just kind of trudging through, hoping that the story beats would go somewhere. And I don't feel that they went anywhere that was really a story worth telling, unfortunately. Um, they went, you know, they went whole hog into the narrator thing again, trying to do... Not really the same thing that Rux was doing in Bastion, but it's more of a direct take. It's sort of like I look at it the same way as, you know, whereas the kid was sort of a surrogate for the player in Bastion, this was a, def- this is a story about Red and the Transistor, but Red has no voice. And it's telling this one-sided story, and it's throwing all of this jargon and these events at you all of the time without stopping to explain much. And the only explanations you get are in character bios, and the only way to unlock those bios is by using uh, the, the executables that they're associated with. And so I see what they were trying to do with their narrative. I just don't think it was effective or as interesting as the premise was. Yeah, you have to dr- dramatize your ideas if you want them to be like interesting or compelling on like a emotional level. And the game wants you to feel this sense of urgency, and I just I never felt it because I didn't feel like I was being let in on it. Like you can tell a story, that's fine. But you need to let me in somewhere. You need to, like, explain, like, what does all of this mean? Like, what are you saying? Like, what is this jargon you're throwing around? Who are these people I'm supposed to know? Um, And it's just, like, it's very much its own story, telling its story to you, but not really giving you many specifics to go on, and the specifics you can mine out of the character profiles. Just, they go a long way to try and paint the world, but... It it just it it's lifeless to me, uh, and maybe that's what they were going for. I don't know, but I just felt so unaffected and deflated by the time I finished that game, and I, I was just so disappointed that you know it was like that was a game that I've been looking forward to for like a year and a half, and I feel it just let me down on every possible front, other than you know the presentation aspects of it that I enjoyed. Aww. That's a major bummer. 
That really sucks, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, I can hope that, I hope that, you know, Supergiant does something a little more, you know, less derivative, you know, because this is obviously, you know, it's running on an engine similar to Bastion, you know, the, the, the aspect and everything and the art, they are very reminiscent of one another, if not in style, then in use of color and the way things are detailed. Um, I hope that they do something really different next time and kind of break away from the what they're doing because I, I know that you know Greg Kasavin is an amazing writer um, and he's got a lot of great ideas and he's a smart smart man um, but I, I just think they really dropped the ball with Transistor hmm. so but you I, know what is it sad that I still want to play it just to I think, see and be in that world and listen to that music and see those visuals I don't think that that's wrong I just I wouldn't pay 20 bucks for it well, no. <laughs> in fact, <laughs> I had. In fact, I have a funny story about this. Is that somebody completely disassociated from me because they bought the game, and I hadn't told them that it was bad yet. <laughs> I was like, "What? How is this my fault?" And like, this person went on a fucking shit fit about it. Like, and I hadn't been signed on to Steam. I don't usually sign on to Steam and chat or anything, but I just saw that I had, like, 14 messages, and I looked, and this person's just bitching me out for their choice of buying that game. And I was just like, you know what? Fuck you, dude. Why did they think you were endorsing it, though? Was it something you said on Twitter, or just they saw you playing it? They saw me playing it, because this person doesn't use Twitter. Oh, man. So, that, yeah. That's such a light endorsement like that doesn't count obviously yeah it's like i buy a game what the fuck i'm gonna play it that's not an endorsement that's so weird and shitty but yeah but you know what guys oh it, actually what so can i add a category here uh absolutely go ahead soundtrack of the year transistor soundtrack of the year transistor you know what Ooh, it Congratulations to Transistor. Congratulations, Transistor. Your soundtrack is amazing. Oh, Transistor! <laughs> Woo, Transistor! Um, but I'm going to bring things back around. Break out the sunshine. Break out the rainbows. Break out the flowers. I've got one more little award I want to give away uh, before we jump into our games of the year. I have a very special award, um, and this is to... And I'm going to go ahead and announce the winners um, the winners, if you're listening to this right now, you're a winner. If you read SocksMakePeopleSexy.net or post on the SNS forums at all, you're a winner. It's the best community of the year. I don't think anybody's going to argue with that. You guys mean a lot to Aww. us. You guys mean a lot to us. We've kept this site running for all, it'll be 10 years next year. Oh my God. That's Aww. crazy. And, and it's amazing that people have kept this site going and everybody that's ever contributed you know, everybody that's taken their time for this dumb website that, you know, I just started on a whim. Um, it means a lot to have your support. It's meant a lot that people have really picked up on this podcast and seem to be really enjoying it. And people have submitted lists to us. You know what? We fucking love you all. And you're the best community ever. You're the best. Oh, you're Holly, a winner. You're the best. No, Jonathan, you're the best. No, oh, Reed's the best. Rhett is the best. I am the best. You are the SoxCast <laughs> sex symbol, after all. It's true. So, all that happy huggy shit out of the way, how about we start getting down to talking about some games of the year, and I can... Wait! 
yeah. think it's really nice that you had like another social circle with people like um, Chelsea and Raquelin. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Who ended this up year, kind of merging seamlessly with, yeah, our, with this one. This year was actually really amazing for social circles coming together. And I know I'm getting a little personal here and all of that, but, you know, for a long time I've had, like, there's always been a weird distinct split between the friends that I have. It's always been, like, PSO friends, SucksMakePeopleSexy.net friends, Twitter friends, Skype friends. And what I really love is that this year, all of those circles came together and everybody, cool. everybody is so cool to one another and they get along and everybody just seems to just be having a much better time online and being able to have more fun conversations. And it's just been fulfilling for me uh, to see everybody come together. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, it's, it means a lot. And I love you all. And you know that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so... Game stuff. I like video games. Who likes those? I like video games. I All like right. video games. Video games are good. And, and Rhett, I want you to have the honor of taking us into your game of the year. Okay, so my number three Valkyrie Chronicles was a mixture of gameplay and story. Majora's Mask, pure story. My number one should game. We, um, should we read off our top ten? No, no, I'm in just, order do, I'm just doing my dumb thematic theme. Okay. My cool. number one game is pure fucking gameplay, and that is Splunky. Damn! Oh, cool. That game hooked Badass. me for a very, very large portion of the year. Yeah. Um, I, I don't have as much time invested in it as you do, but I, I absolutely love that game top to bottom. Yeah. So I feel I fucked up badly because I played it last year, and I beat Olmec, and I did, like, the one life run through from the start of the game iron man yeah and i thought oh i beat the game i'm good there's some hidden hell stuff but i'm not gonna bother with that (laughs) so i just kind of moved on and then in january or so this year i was like you know i should play some more splunky that game was good and i fell down that rabbit hole like fucking (laughs) crazy was it what didn't we start playing it again because patrick klepek of giant bomb started streaming it daily it was so funny i think i started it slightly before him it was a weird kind of happening very close together but i like i got into splunky then he got into splunky and then i think there was another streamer maybe or something and then there was like the bananasaurus rex crazy world record started happening around that time like everybody was playing splunky and I was like competing with people for the daily challenges, getting the high scores, and making my way down to hell to get the true ending. I'm I, I'm still vowing to do that before the end yeah. of the year. Oh, before the end of the year. I'm I, going to I, do it before the end of the year. I don't think that's going to happen. I'm it's really fucking hard. I want to do it. I'm going to push myself. I am off work the rest of this year. Oh, well, that'll help. So <laughs> I've got the time. But yeah. Those first few hell runs that I did, like, I haven't had that level of adrenaline playing a game since, like, the extra stages in Toho. Like, that's the only thing that comes close. Damn. Like, just that heart beating faster, like, sweaty hands, like, because so much is riding on this one life. And, like, the first time I got to hell, I think I died within 10 seconds because I didn't realize something was a spike. Oh. (laughs) Which didn't feel great. But, like, the steps you have to go through is just this... It's incredible. I this game. And even though the game is like technically short where each run may be an hour at absolute most 
and there's only like five real main levels, like because it's randomly generated, it's just endlessly replayable. Like you would not look at that and go like, oh yeah, you can easily play that for over a hundred hours and not get bored whatsoever. Yeah, but, you would think at some point you would hit your limit, but the way yeah. that game works, the randomness and, and just how everything is dynamically generated and, yeah. and how you can learn to play with its rule set, yeah, it's endlessly compelling. It is such a good game. It's probably my favorite roguelike just from what I've played. It's not a roguelike. <laughs> I, I just <laughs> chimed in so I could call it a roguelike. I know. <laughs> But, like, just as a platformer, it's so tight. And, like, once you've learned the physics and, like, how your run speed works and how the jumping works and, like, the little tricks you can do, like, firing a shotgun to boost yourself up higher as you jump, like, learning that game is just so rewarding. And it seems, like, impossible and crazy at first. And then you just learn that game and get good at it and you You can be really consistent with your runs. Yeah, it's a game that if you stick with it, you will feel yourself getting better. Yeah, it has such like a crazy high skill ceiling. It's so good. It's oh. so good. It's and, deserving. And you're able to mod it, so I made Polly a playable character. Yes, <laughs> yes. That is basically the best thing about it, is that you can have me. Actually, I think I got my first hell run right after doing that. Like, Polly actually made me play better. <laughs> See, I make people play better. You should take you should take a hint from me and be me. Just be me. That's all you've got to do in life is be yep. me, and you'll play better. So yeah, that game is goddamn near perfect. And thank you, Skibo, for gifting it to me last year. So, Jonathan, <laughs> I, I bet you've got a game <clears throat> of the year to talk about. Why don't you tell me something about it? Okay. Well, um, let's see. Just to review, um, shoot some honorable mentions over at Astro Boy Omega Factor, Zelda 2, and Last of Us. Those games are rad as hell. Mm-hmm. Um, number 10 was Kagiri Naki Tatakai for the Sharp X1. Number oh, 9 re- was... <laughs> what? Do we have to read them all? Sorry. Just yeah. save, it for the, save it for the end. Okay, fine. Well, I have a bunch of games, a bunch of great games I played this year, basically. I... And... Um, my favorite game I played this year uh, was Breath of Fire Dragon Quarter for the PlayStation 2. I, oh, yes. Yeah, I figured. I was mm-hmm. wondering where that was on your list because I knew mm. it was going to come up somewhere. and I There hadn't... was never a question. I think that Breath of Fire Dragon Quarter is one of the most tightly constructed games that I've ever played. I think it's as self-evidently perfectly designed as games like Ikaruga and Tetris. Wow. I think Breath of Fire Dragon Quarter is one of the most perfect games I've ever played. Everything I said about Saga 2 that made that game compelling applies to Dragon Quarter. I got to the last, like, two dungeons of that game, and I ran out of save tokens. So I just had to... And I didn't have... I had didn't have very much Dragon D meter left. So I just had to go through the whole dungeon fight all those last bosses which get really fucking tough at the end and then it just keeps going and keeps pushing and I got it I finally got to the end and fucking died and then got ice cream with Anna and cried and then a couple (laughs) days later I booted it back up and um, pushed through and beat the game with 99.68% of my D meter 
Um, so the thing about Saga 2 is that that game creates a sense of dread that's external. You never... There's so much randomness and clutter and stuff coming at you in that game, and you're always worried about the random forces of the universe fucking you over. Mm-hmm. And you can plan around that and put your, and stop yourself from putting yourself in unwinnable situations if you're smart. But that dread is external. Dragon Quarter, rather than relying on, on randomness, creates a sense of dread 100% through your own actions. Oh. Everything you do in that game is pushing yourself, is pushing up that D meter. If you don't know... The D meter is a number that is in the, so- in the corner of the screen for the entire game starting about two hours in and moving and using your extremely powerful dragon moves in combat raises the D meter. So your every step is pushing up this number. Towards 100%. Towards 100%. The boss fights... The regular fights you can beat pretty – you can beat if you're smart. It has probably the best battle system of any RPG I can think of. Um, Even Grandia if, 2? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think it's a better battle system and I think it's used way better than Grandia 2's. Fair enough. Um, I think Grandia 2 is fun but I don't think that it pushes you as far as it could with its battle system. And I also don't like the very long unskippable animations. Gotcha. Um. So Dragon Quarter, you can get through all of the fights if you're smart. And because of the survival horror-iness of the game, it resists grinding. So you just kind of have to... Because that fucking timer's always going. Well, the timer's always going. There's no ins. You you rely 100% or cure spells. You rely 100% on healing items, which are finite, as is money. Um, oh my god. So you just keep pushing. And the boss fights are extremely hard. They're designed to tempt... All of them can be beaten except for the last one without using the dragon abilities. But it's so hard that you feel forced into it. But it's still your choice. I have a question. Yeah? Your game, Into the Void, has a very similar hook. Into the Vortex? Yeah, into the vortex. Yeah, that one. Okay, was that inspired by Dragon Quarter? Or did I played you Dragon make... Quarter after that one. Okay, wow, because yeah, it huh. seems like that would. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. I wasn't sure. The Super Zapper. <laughs> the um, the one with the uh, yeah, that that was a Ludum Dare game where the theme was you only get one. Oh, so I, I see thought it. of a game where you have one boss, and then I thought where you have one big bomb. Yeah, and I, then thought I thought that, of. Yeah, I was thinking maybe the bomb was sort of oh, yeah. somehow related to Dragon Quarter in a way. And um, I thought of Metroid 2's ending, and I wanted to make a game where you go inside of a boss and blow it up from the inside. I got you. And that was the whole that was the whole premise there. I got you. So every step forward in Dragon Quarter is laced with that sense of dread that is present in a lot of Saga 2, but is really present in in Dragon Quarter because it's all on you. It's all on you. Every step you take, instead of fighting against the random forces of the universe, you are dealing with the consequences of your own actions as yeah. you're being pushed at and pushed at. Yeah, and it's, like, it's like, has my patience run thin enough that I want to just blast this boss into oblivion right now? Mm-hmm. It's part patience and it's part um, just feeling like there's 
feeling hopeless against it, like, well, I have to now. And you can try over and over again and try to do better, or you can just say, all right, all right, I'll just use the dragon ability. I've got enough. And if you don't, then you, well, you go back to the start, and if you hit 100%, um, there's a game, a custom game over screen where a dragon rips out of Ryu's body oh. in red silhouette, and it's permanent game over. Like that, um, that save file's dead. Yeah. There's a system in place that's kind of a new game plus system where you can get some of your experience and money back if you start the game over again, and it gives you some extra extraneous um, plot detail. Mm-hmm. I thought that that was unnecessary. It was probably my one beef with the game, but I just did. But it's also completely optional, and I didn't engage with it at all. I think it's best played as like a straightforward Resident Evil type game where you just move forward and you either make it or you don't. Wait, does it seriously erase your save file if you hit a hundred? No, it doesn't. You Uh-oh. can start over from you start over from the Okay. You can I I hit 100 on the final boss and then I just had to restart from the last save which is 2 hours ago. But oh, if I you th- get you can still work yourself into an unwinnable situation where you can't beat the final boss because you have too little left on your D meter. So I ignored the, I ignored the weird new game plus stuff and I just like I said it's completely optional so I was able to just excise it and play it straightforward. Um, but if you, if it does sound too intimidating, that that is kind of a nice concession for people for whom this might be a little too rough. Um, but yeah, and so it's it's as compelling mechanically and dramatically as Saga Two in that respect, except it's also married with this really really beautiful story that's told in very broad strokes, um, with very simply established characters. And in that sense, I think it's actually the best Team Ico game. Team Ico game. <laughs> um, it reminds me a lot of Shadow of the Colossus and Ico, except that I honestly found it even more compelling. And the aesthetic is perfect. You're going through grungy underground cells for most of the game, and it's very oppressive. Um, the cell-shaded type look... I think is very timeless, kind of like Wind Waker. And I think it'll look gorgeous for many, many, many years ahead. Um, the soundtrack is by the Final Fantasy Tactics guy, and it was performed and mastered by Yasunori Mitsuda, the Chrono Trigger Chrono Cross guy. So it's a, it's a really gorgeous soundtrack. And yeah, everything about that game comes together in a very self-confident and self-evident way. And that's why I compared it to stuff like Tetris or Ikaruga, where it just feels completely solid across the board. And it was very artistically inspiring as well for me personally. Um, I said the Majora's Mask was the smartest game I played this year, and I think that's because it allows itself room for excesses and digressions. Whereas, and it weaves this world in a less, like, elegant way, but in doing so, it gives itself more room to breathe thematically. Dragon Quarter is just uh, razor sharp, um, does exactly what it needs to to tell this very broadly, stro- broadly told story that is extremely affecting. And I think it's just... A really fucking good game. You might have talked me into a copy of Breath of Fire 4. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
That's the funny thing is that all the other Breath of Fire games, um, your goal is to turn Ryu into a dragon. Yeah, and this, this one, goes so against that. Uh-huh. I like that. You, you might have just talked me into a copy of Dragon Quarter. Mm-hmm. Wait, did you mean Dra- Breath of Fire for- Dragon oh, Quarter? Or did you mean Breath of Fire 4? Uh, I meant Dragon Quarter. Okay, because 4 is completely different. Yeah, <laughs> four. I, I've, I own 4, actually. Don't uh, like it. You don't like it? No. Ah, uh, okay. I, it has really pretty sprite art. Which oh, yeah, are. the sprite art's pretty in 3 as well, but... Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Breath of Fire fans are the worst people. Oh, my God. I... I looked around at a bunch of Breath of Fire forums right after beating this game, and they all fucking hate Dragon Quarter because it's not some boring, generic Capcom RPG with a shitty translation. And that's basically what most of the Breath of Fire games are anyway. I just don't give a shit about any of them. I don't think you should. I don't think that they're all that fascinating. Yeah. So, yeah. Whatever the fuck Breath of Fire fans think, <laughs> throw any all of that into the fucking trash where it belongs because Dragon Quarter is unquestionably better than all that shit and also probably the, be- the most elegantly made RPG ever and probably one of the most elegantly ga- made games ever. Cannot argue. Damn. Cannot argue with that. that that's, <laughs> that is a stunning argument for that game. That, mm-hmm. uh, Like I said. So does that make sense why I put, o- put it over Saga 2 and Majora's Mask? Yeah, I think you <laughs> rationalized it quite well. A cool. bit, yeah. <laughs> very, very well. So, that leaves us with my game of the year. The only Ooh. one that matters. The oh, only naturally. one that matters. It's my fucking site and my podcast. You don't like it? Right up your ass with a piece of glass, bitch. I'm just playing. I love you guys. Um, my game of the year is... Dark... So I bet you thought I was going to say Dark Souls 2, didn't you? No, my my game of the year is predictably The Binding of Isaac Rebirth. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I was trying to remember what it was. Uh, What what it could be. That game, um, God, like, the first time I played The Binding of Isaac, I didn't really get it. Uh, It didn't click for me when it first came out. I bought it as soon as it came out. Um... And it, it just didn't grab me. I didn't think that it felt good. I wasn't a fan of the aesthetic at the time. Um, it, it just didn't speak to me in a way that, like, I, I guess I thought it would. And um, similar to uh, when Patrick Klepek of Giant Bomb was playing um, Spelunky this year, he went from that right into The Binding of Isaac. And the more I started watching him play it, the more I was like, you know, I, I don't think I gave this game a really fair shake. Um, and I started getting more and more into it weird in a really weird way because that game basically, that was my entire March of this year. You know, the original Binding of Isaac and the Wrath of Lamb DLC, those, that was basically the only thing I played for an entire month straight. Um, and I kind of cooled off on it a bit because I heard that there was a remake coming out at some point and I didn't want to, you know, it, it, there wasn't really a lot left for me to do uh, in that game anyway because I had already, you know, completed all of the bosses. I'd unlocked most of everything. I think I'm only missing 10 or 12 secrets um, in the original. Um, and uh, 
big big old thanks to Rhett who got me this for my birthday, which has basically turned out to be like <laughs> the best birthday gift ever because I've spent so much damn time playing Rebirth. Uh, it was a I, pretty safe bet. Yeah. Um, and I am so just still drawn to that game, even though I've spent so much time and unlocked pretty much everything. You know, I know that, you know, I've, I've seen all of the endings. I've beaten Mega Satan three times now. Um, I, I've got, I think, 20 more items to go before I unlock everything. Um and the, the the game the gameplay loop is still compelling even when i'm not unlocking quite as much as i used to or even playing as much as i used to i still like firing it up at least once a day uh to get in a run with a character you know it's like oh well i don't have you know a hard mode cathedral win with maggie yet so let's do that or oh hey i i haven't beaten uh mega satan with blue baby even though you get nothing for beating mega satan i still like that fight a lot uh, so, you know, it's still, there are still things there that keep me coming back. And I, I don't think that it's quite as rewarding in the same way that Spelunky is. Um, but I just, I, I find that I really adore everything about that game from just the gameplay mechanics, the items, the way items stack, the way you can get runs that are sometimes just complete shit, or the way you can turn a complete shit run around, you know, with just like one or two floors later. And it's just like, oh shit, I'm on the best tear I've ever been on. You know, and, and it goes uh, hand in hand with my enjoyment of the narrative and the implications of that narrative and how it can be translated and how so much of it is, you know, up for you to sort of put your own spin on it if you want. Because there's a, there is no clean cut explanation for everything. It's just this thing is a thing that happens. Here's a small vignette. You interpret this however you like, you know, and the world that I've built inside my head for that game and what that narrative means to me. You know, it it, it it makes it more personal, I think, um, in a way that I don't think a lot of games get. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's it, what more can I say about it? I, I just think that, you know, nothing... It, I would be lying to myself if I said anything else this year hit me the way that The Binding of Isaac and The Binding of Isaac Rebirth have. You know, like I said, I'm going to be playing Rebirth for a good long time. There's already, you know, talk of an expansion on the way. I will be there day damn one. Um, so, yeah, game of the year, fucking Binding of Isaac Rebirth. I don't know what else I can say about it other than that, you know, if if you found yourself put off at all by some of the more technical limitations of the original Flash version... Um, then maybe you should give Rebirth a look because it certainly irons all of those out. You know, it plays steady 60 frames per second. It's it's so smooth. It is so smooth. And, you know, there's so much more content there and a lot of things have been reworked so that, you know, a lot of the boss fights are just way better now, you know, because they can do more with the engine that they're on. So, yeah, that game's just fantastic. Can't wait for the expansion. Um... I don't know what else I can say about it other than, yeah, it's it's great. That's my game of the year. Fuck you if you don't agree. <laughs> so, Rhett, I guess we've got one more user list to uh-huh. round out the end of the year. And it's obviously the most important one because we're saving it for last. Saved the best for last. Very deliberate here. Who has dropped us the knowledge of their their list? The most important one. This list is from Boner. Our very own... He, he the, is our spiritual fourth. 
Our very own replacement, John. Our replacement, John. Our Aww. spiritual fourth. <laughs> we love you, Boner. You're the man. Hit us up. What's he got? Number three, Freedom Planet. Woo! A lot has been said about this game by me and others with the same crappy tasting games as me. <laughs> Not much, however, has been said about it by the gaming populace in general because it, it is probably the most underexposed indie darling Kickstarter success story of the year. But it does give me hope that the 2D platform hasn't completely breathed its last gasp, or more accurately, the well-crafted 2D platformer with tight controls, incentive to explore, and the freedom... Oh, I see what they did there. <laughs> ...to play according to your taste. In this climate of floaty jumps, carpal tunnel-inducing mouse aiming, mouse aiming, and graphics that will be deemed 8-bit even though PSX hardware <laughs> would wouldn't have a Toho's chance in hell of Rhett not buying a PVC figure <laughs> of it to push those kind of pixels. Freedom Planet is a spiritual successor to the 16-bit platformer that would do its forebears proud. If you're one of those people who gets into fights over what the real Sonic or Mega Man would think about a particular subject. <laughs> it's not a perfect game by any stretch, but it's a blast, which is becoming depressingly rare in my current gaming experiences. Fantastic choice. Number two, Frog Adventure. <gasps> in, the gr- <laughs> in the great video games as art debate, one might say that a medium's measure of artistic merit is in the emergence of de- deconstructions, which is how I would start this blurb if I was trying to amuse my college professor just <laughs> enough to scrape by with a gentleman's C. <laughs> Games like The Stanley Parable, Frog Fractions, or Gone Home are held up as postmodern deconstructions that challenge what we think of as a video game. But I can't but I can't comment on that since I haven't actually played The Stanley Parable or Gone Home, and Frog Fractions lost me at the text adventure part. <laughs> well, now I can say that I've played a game that while I will hold up as a deconstruction of the video game medium to edit anyone, young or old, hardcore or casual, and it only takes a few minutes to complete it. And it's free. And I don't want to give too much away, so go play Frog Adventure. I'm not even playing around. I'm dead serious. And then there's a made-up word here. Bonerable bonerable mention. Wait, wait, wait. wait. Can we just just let that sit for a second? Just let that that ooze over me? Okay, mm-hmm. I'll you're go letting there. you're letting Boner ooze over oh. you. Raquel <laughs> is going to be pissed. Oh, that made me feel nice. Thank you, Boner. I had another friend who told me that Frog Adventure was his favorite game of mine when he played it the other day. That made me really happy. I kind of think it might be. Like, I really oh. like Frog Adventure too. It's really good. Yay! Yay! That makes me happy. <laughs> like, it plays really well, and it does the one thing really well yeah I mean, uh-huh. and i also helped on it myself with suggestions for the bosses so uh-huh oh, i'm a little helped, biased helped tremendously yeah you, I remember you could when, easily remember when I, you could easily do like an expert remix of that game and, and it would just be <laughs> oh, fun God. because the mechanics are really fun yay uh-huh. i had this so john sent me the game when it was almost finished but not quite mm-hmm. and yes, i just had i just had the stupid idea of what if there wasn't even a boss in the fourth room? Yeah. <laughs> so, you you said, what if the bubbles are behind you in the third boss? And I was like, that's 
That's brilliant. brilliant. It's so stupid. It is. <laughs> yes. The bosses get easier as you go. I love that. Oh my god! You remember when I um? We're ruining remember, it. Remember when I came into um? When I called you up like a couple weeks ago and was just like, I I don't even think I think this is just a piece of shit. I don't think I don't think I'm I'm just gonna cut my losses here. I I think it's it's okay to just admit that something's a failure. You know? Yeah, you and, were really down, and I played it. I'm like, no, dude, this is like your best game. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> wow! Like, and not, I was like, okay. I guess I'll keep going at it. This is a podcast you come to for fucking feel-good stories, motherfuckers. Aww. Listen up. More people do need to play that. Yes, and they it's, do. It's super short in a good way. Yeah, it really Aww. is. All right, well, this kind of gives me a little more confidence to fling it at some of, the, um, some of the sites I would send emails to every now and then. That makes me happy. Do it. I do wonder if they'd get it, though, because it is kind of a dumb parody of, you know, it's based <laughs> off Mike Manon's shit that people yeah, get. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like... It uses, like, one step away from, like, MIDI music. Yeah. The piano. That's really fun. Is the, is the climax all right? Does it feel like it ends it's great. properly? It's it feels like great. a John game. It, it's a John <laughs> game. Like, when I first reached stage five, it was like, oh, right, John. <laughs> Seriously, you have a style that's distinct enough at this point that where we can look at it and go, yeah, that's a John game. Oh, that makes me happy. But also not just everything being black and white, dreary game. <laughs> right, right. Cool. I'm making a black and white, dreary game, though. It's going to be great. Oh, yep. Okay. Okay. Okay, Boner- I'm very happy. <sighs> All right, what's his vulnerable mention? Vulnerable mention. I have to get that out. John's Ants game is pretty neat, too. Even <gasps> oh, you- I love that game. Okay, continue. Even if you can put it in an in an unwinnable state if you're a dumbass like me. <laughs> Which I I also did that my first time playing. I was like, oh, that sucks. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Did, is that after I, before or after I added the little respawn? It was before. Okay, yeah. I made it so you could restart from a checkpoint. And That's, finally... Oh, wait. Anna Anthropy actually played the Ants game and said that it was, quote, hella cute. So that was that was pretty vindicating, I thought. <laughs> Back of the box <laughs> quote right there. I know, right? Hell cute. I, I was really satisfied with how that game turned out as just like a thing where you're doing this kind of chore for a person you like and care about, and then at the end it's really sweet. And you get ice cream for this person you like. It made me happy. Hmm. Okay, I'm glad Boner liked it too. This one's going to be hard to get through. Are we ready? Let's yep. go. Number one, Operation KATB. What? Really? The, the cancellation of Fez 2 crushed my hopes of the next big release from Polytron, but this year instead we received Operation KATB, the fruits of the groundbreaking collaboration Polyjohn. <laughs> <laughs> we need a logo. We're getting a logo. If we break this game down to its core sentences, the verb is kiss, a function that you will be performing with great profundity throughout the game's running time. The noun in this case is boys, so let it be said that Mr. Thire and Mrs. S. Haight definitely deliver on their high-minded premise of kissing boys. The resulting combination of this verb and noun left me to be aptly described with the particular adjective hard. <laughs> Oh my god, I love Boner. 
I love oh, him to death. The bird too. I love him to death. Oh. And there we have it. That is Boner's big old list of games of the year. So before we close things out here, does everybody want to give a quick round table of, you know, your entire top ten for the year? Start uh, with yeah. you, Rhett. Let's go. Uh, started with Guacamelee, Rayman Legends, Saints Row 4, Shadow of the Colossus, Puppeteer, Link's Awakening, Bioshock Infinite, <laughs> Valkyria Chronicles, Majora's Mask, and Spelunky. Jonathan! My top 10 of the year was Honorable Mention Tours, Astro Boy Omega Factor, Zelda 2, and Last of Us. Um, then number 10 was Kigiri Naki Tatakai. Number 9 was Sonic Adventure. Then Metal Gear Ghost Babel, Hunters, Relic of the Stars, Ebe, Sabbath, Directors, Kibbit, Metal Gear Rising Revengeance, Saga 1 and 2, Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask, and Breath of Fire Dragon Quarter. And my top 10, starting from number 10, is number 10, Enslaved, Odyssey to the West. Number 9, Volgar the Viking. Number 8, Jazz Punk. Number 7, Monument Valley. Number 6, Freedom Planet. Number 5, The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time 3D. Number four, The Swapper. Number three, Shovel Knight. Number two, The Last of Us. And my game of the year is The Binding of Isaac Rebirth. Badass. Ladies and gentlemen, we have just finished 2014 in gaming. Aww. How does that feel? Well, pretty good now. I'm feeling pretty good. <laughs> this is the last podcast of 2014. I want to thank everybody for coming along the journey with us. We never even knew if this thing would get off the ground. Uh, I want to thank Rhett. I want to thank John for being here with me through this whole thing. I'm glad you guys are a part of this every couple of weeks because it's something I look forward to more than anything. Um, mm-hmm. so, I echo that sentiment. You know, it's just, I, I'm not a terribly social individual, but, you know, I end up talking so much to you guys. It's kind of ridiculous. So, um, you know, thanks for being here and being a part of this and helping me get it off the ground and, you know, sticking by it and making sure that we kept it working. I'm happy to have. I'm very happy. Oh. <laughs> so, from all of us out there to all of you, we will catch you on the other side. And remember, we're the podcast that loves you. We are the only ones that love you. And we love you a lot. <laughs>